This is the Detroit is Different Podcast Network, the culture of an American classic city. My Natural Hair is a podcast that shares all the information you're looking to learn about natural hair, the movement, the styles, growing your hair naturally and meeting other people part of the natural hair culture and movement. My Natural Hair is hosted by LaDonna Sims and Markeisha St. Clair from Hair Goals 313. Collectively, LaDonna and Markeisha have over 25 years of experience doing natural hair. Black Coffee is a podcast hosted by Kari Frazier and Frida Sampson Weekly. Weekly, Frida and Kari welcome guests to discuss the rich history of black leadership, entrepreneurship, artistry, and social justice. Tune in weekly to the Piper Carter podcast with Piper Carter for a conscious take on music, arts, politics, and fashion. The founder of We Found Hip Hop has a say on what you should know about culture with a balanced conscience. The Detroit is Different podcast is about exposing artistry, business, ideas, and dynamic people, places, and things that make Detroit a mecca. Tune in weekly and subscribe to get the true stories from the people shaping the culture of an American classic city. You're listening to the Piper Carter Podcast on the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. To my back, I am sorry for all the weight I have put on you, making you carry burdens heavier than you. I am sorry for the 80-hour work weeks while I was teaching. Don't you see... I was trying to revolutionize young minds. I'm sorry for skipping family time to grade and lesson plan. Don't you see? I believe that every black child deserves to succeed. I'm sorry for laying in bed for two months when my boyfriend left me. Don't you see? I was grieving the loss of a best friend. I'm sorry for slouching and slaving through my pen. Don't you see? I was writing my sorrows away. I'm sorry for craning my neck, reading book after book. Don't you see? I was getting lost in stories, running away from my own painful stories. And I'm sorry for the time I typed 150 pages of my poems into a book. And don't you see? I was escaping loneliness by being lonely. And I'm sorry for turning in my sleep all night. And don't you see? My pain was turning into nightmares haunting me. But I've been going to yoga and I even got a new pillow. So why are you still knotted in agonizing pain? My back said to me, Every knot is a book of twisted stories that you have yet to open up. Those moments of pinching pain are a reminder of how much you have yet to heal. This won't be easy and won't be done in a day. This journey will take your lifetime. Until you are prepared to face your truths, my knots will keep growing like a cancer of wet pain. These chapters will be here for you when you are ready to read. Until you are ready to love yourself I'll be here waiting To the day you die Because remember I always got your back Welcome to the Piper Carter Podcast You're in the building with Piper Carter And our token millennial What's up Brittany? Pipe dog, what's up? Yeah, what yeah. up doe? Oh my goodness You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna just go ahead and bring our guests in So that we could just get to the topic so um, I'm going to bring in someone. She's super amazing. She's a poet. She is currently working on her master's degree. She is a model. She is um, an amazing person. And she's my Muslim sister. And uh, just want to give her lots of love and lots of uh, happy new year uh, <laughs> encouragement for everything that she's got going on. So what's up, Bayan? Yo, yo, peace. I'm so happy to be here. 
Oh my God. I can't yes. believe you're here. That's what's Me up. neither. It's crazy because I was telling Brittany, like I always listen to this channel on my commute to Ann Arbor when I'm going to school. So it's just crazy that I'm I'm here right now in this space, in the studio. It's just, it's awesome. Oh, wait. We're but, so glad to have you. But you're not the token millennial anymore, Brittany. <laughs> because we have another millennial. Hey. So, hey, we got diversity up in here. Yeah. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's so it's so great to meet you. Yeah. And then pronounce your last name because I didn't want to mispronounce it. So it's Bayan Funas. Funas, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what's up. And um, people also know me as that Algerian on Instagram. Hey, yes. the your, Algerian. What's your nickname? They call you B. What, what do they call? It? What do your um, girls call you? Some people call me B. Okay, Bay. Yeah, it's, it's usually B interview. and Bay. I'm gonna call you B for that interview. Okay. Okay, that's what's up. Hey. <laughs> okay, and then um, I'm gonna bring in um, Andrew Lamar. Um, he's a spitter, but this guy's like not a t- like I don't want to say typical spitter. He's a little different because, like, a lot of times with MCs and stuff, like, they just MC. You know what I'm saying? But this guy uses, like, right and left brain. Mm. And um, he's a hooper, like you, Brittany. Oh, wait. And you too, Bayan. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Oh, my goodness. We're gonna have to <laughs> a little get bit. This. We, gonna have to we gotta get this. Going. Yeah. We might have to get, like, the, the, the guy girl league going. Let's do it. Okay. And so, um, yeah, Andrew Lamar um, also does, he works in advertising. So, um, this this so remember we had Bryce mm-hmm. Detroit one of my homeboy my brother shout out so to Bryce this is one of Bryce's brothers and then I, I met him through um, doing some work with another musician friend um, you know shouts out to Jeff you know what I'm saying who um, you know is an incredible person another right left brain <clears throat> type person that um, you know was working on something I was doing some pictures. And he was like, "Gotta meet my homeboy." I was like, "Cool." And he was producing this thing, so it came out super awesome at his advertising agency where he works. And then ended up this dude is super amazing, and he's a hip hopper like the rest of us. So let's bring him in. Oh, he's a battle rapper. So let's what? bring him in. Let's let's give him the um the sound effects. Peace, peace. That was a dope introduction. Couldn't ask for much more. So. Appreciate that. Also, I, I believe dope people bring dope people together. Hey. So, you know, obviously Jeff Ponder's mm-hmm. being a dope musician, but Bryce, we made music back in the day. He remembers me as the old battle rapper Megaton, mm-hmm. the original one, not the one from right. the movie. Okay. okay. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. have a lot of respect for what you're doing with the community. Um, oh, thank you. Obviously, you know, having uh, an opportunity to work in advertising and also work in hip hop, it's just a a good balance of two different worlds that mm-hmm. also rely so much on each other. So thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be on the podcast, man. Respect. Thank yeah. You. We're going to have to bring you back too. Cause this guy has a lot of hip hop knowledge. I say we do. I yeah. can win a few trivia games. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Let's just, I'm going to test that before you leave here today. Let's dang, just dang. start with the R Kelly. Let's just talk about it. Let's just get it. We, we, we won't spend a lot of time because, it, you know, this is going to air on Thursday. It's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot. of. Well, it's good timing because this Thursday will be the week anniversary of when the first episode aired. So okay. by now, it'll be a whole week. It's, it's, right. There's, it's a whole week and uh, the Internet. We can do reflections. Yes. How about reflections? There's, I mean, there's a lot of reflections. To do. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So who wants to start? You guys? Did you guys want to start on any of it? Me, you want me to start? Okay, I'll do I'll do the best I can to give the recap. So remember, we did a whole mute R. Kelly show. What like a oh, year ago yeah, almost? Okay, just about. 
So being one of the Detroit organizers of Mute R. Kelly on that show, brought in Nicole, one of my co-organizers from Wayne County Safe, you know, doing shouts out to her. And then shouts out to Kalima Johnson from Sasha Center. Like people like us been out here boycotting this dude for like 20 years, yo. And people looking at us like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you know, like mm-hmm. acting like we're crazy. And then now that there's this documentary that pretty much takes everything and like puts it all into like one. So for all the span of time, like all the different age groups, all the different scenarios, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. For everyone to see like, oh, and it was so in your face. It was done so in your face. Like shouts out to Dream Hampton. Shouts out. Everyone that worked over the whole production team, everyone that put that together. Um, Yeah. So a couple of reflections. Well, one thing, I'm really glad to see like Hip Hop DX and like allhiphop.com were like completely on board. You understand what I'm saying? With like muting R. Kelly, supporting black girls. And like for me doing women in hip hop, that's huge. Because when you have huge like commercial platforms like that to take a stand, Joe Budden, The Joe Budden podcast, episode 310, check it out. He did a whole podcast where he pretty much denounced now, allegedly, Joe Budden beats women. So, you know, we got to deal with Joe Budden on that. I mean, and and everyone's in their complexity, so we're not forgiving any of that. No forgiving. Just wanted to acknowledge that we're in a space where, you know what I'm saying? Some of the things that rub people the wrong way, Charlamagne the God, Ebro, and Joe Budden being in that documentary the chance the rapper thing people were like pretty um it was kind of like two sides you know what i'm saying to the chance the rapper thing jamila lemieux came out defended him you know was like okay he's trying you know what i'm saying did you know what happened with chance the rapper you were telling me you were telling me a little bit about this so basically he was in the documentary it was an interview that happened like some time ago jamila lemieux was interviewing him mm-hmm. and in that he I'm a paraphrase but he basically was like I apologize to like my fans who are survivors because um I brought R. Kelly out in 2015 in my tour mm. and um something to the effect of like I I uh I didn't it didn't mean much to me so because I didn't respect black women I didn't I didn't respect that this was happening to black women mm. right and so, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was Rolling Stone um, kind of took that and then put a headline. And they say they took it out of context, but just in context, out of context, it's all foul. You know what I'm saying? Like, just to me, yeah, you know, he, he, he tried to clean it up or whatever. But to me, you know, Jamila Lemieux tried to clean it up. Everybody came for her. They came for her. Black Twitter was like, meow, meow, meow. But for me, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm glad that he said that. Because we need more men to say stuff like that. Because, my opinion, we need more men to say stuff like that because it's the truth. And the more that that we have people just like saying the truth, then the more that we could, and the more that we like say, yeah, okay, you were, you're acknowledging that you were in that place. And and look, you're acknowledging that like you're looking back to like, that's not you now. So I'm that person that's like, I'm not going to forgive what you said, but I will encourage you to like step closer into this side away from misogyny. You know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. anyway, um, people were reacting to what the different women said. We could get into that in a minute. 
but like people were not believing um, the women or people were, it's not that they weren't believing them. Like basically people were saying that, um, that everyone in the video looks complicit, that they were thinking that everyone is complicit because they're saying that, um, how do you be there in like, let's say, um, Sparkle, for instance, Sparkle met R. Kelly in 89. Mm -hmm. She was 14. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aaliyah came along, what, like 91, something like that. She was 12. So she was there way before Aaliyah. So when Sparkle said, oh, I didn't know that he would do that to my niece. Some people were saying they believed that he was involved sexually with Sparkle. Now, these are things you can't prove, right? Those are, you know, if you're, if you're going to Joe Budden podcast, he'll say that's like huge allegations. But for me, it's not far-fetched. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so anyway, there's some of that. And then um, they're saying that Asante McGee, which was one of the um, older survivors, she was in her 30s. And mm-hmm. she was more recent, like uh, last year, I believe. Okay. Last two years. They're saying that um, that they don't believe. So basically, her daughter. A, a conversation on YouTube surfaced where her daughter was on um, the phone with her ex boyfriend, and he was coaching her through the conversation, but she didn't know she was being taped. And basically, he was like um, laughing and joking with her. It was kind of creepy, honestly, if you listen to the phone call. Um, but he was like. Yeah, she was lying, right? And then the girl was basically saying, like, yeah, she was lying. She had money. She had that. But I think if we're looking at some of the takeaways, so I'll just get, so that was, you know, I'll, I'll get to it so you guys can speak. But just some takeaways I, that I took away was um, more people are saying believe black women. More mainstream people and more men are saying believe black women. That's important. Um, people were, even though people are like, yeah, all this is complex, People are like, yeah, but that's still terrible. And we need to do something about that. We need to do something about that. So I'm like, yes, yes, because we were not there a year ago. We were not there a year ago. So, yes, that is traction. Today, I saw that um, Atlanta is going to be putting some charges on him. So they're doing some investigating and there may be some charges coming down. So we'll see in a couple of days what that's looking like. Um, And then, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I'll just put a period here that choke, no joke documentary about, um, Charlemagne, the God that he made with, um, Jessica Reed, where she accuses him of, um, raping her at age 15 when he was 20 something. And the, his cousin and his friend, uh, were co-conspirators help rape her and do all that and the the docu the documentary is too much to watch like it was so much i was i had to stop it but i forced myself to watch it because i told myself you know what her story like she needs to be heard she needs to be believed and she needs to be heard and for too long when we look at these things we we look away because it's like ah, i can't look at that i can't deal with that right now but it's like i didn't want to be one of those people to be like i'm i'm going I'm not going to look right now. And then I'm going to stop talking because I've been talking a long time. So I'm going to oh, throw, throw it to somebody else to like jump in. I appreciate you bringing the topic of violence against women up um, and really seeing how we're starting to see how these documentaries are really highlighting this. Um, and besides the R. Kelly one, there's also the case with Santoya Brown, right? The young woman right. who was recently is going to be getting released um, and was a survivor of 
sex trafficking. And originally she was sentenced to almost life in prison. Right. But there was a documentary on her and some attorney had seen it and then had brought up her case again. Um, so we can see that. Can we just like give shouts out that she got clemency? Yeah. Yes. We Word. need that button like. Oh my goodness. Air yeah. horn, air horn. Right? Air horn, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and even with that, um, a lot of that even inspires me with my writing and my poetry. Um, so as you know, I recently published my first book of poems. It's called Diary of a Daughter in Bra, Diaspora. Bra, yes, bra. thank Straight you. Fire. <laughs> it's beautiful. Thank you. I know we'll um, talk about that later though. <clears throat> and so even with that, it's just like a way for me to highlight my stories and my experiences using using an art form, you know, um, and through through written and spoken word. Um and a lot of it comes from, and it's crazy because I was just writing a few articles this morning about how much um, the issue of violence against Muslim women and hijab particularly um, has really been daunting on me the past few years. So first starting in February of 2015, there was the case of Razan and Yusra Abu Salha, who were two young mm-hmm. girls, 21 and 18, who were shot and killed in their own home. Um, in North Carolina on campus by their white neighbor. Um, And so this like, you know, framework of white nationalism bringing, you know, violence, another case of, you know, and then in that same year, there was so many issues going on with Trump's presidential elections, followed by his call to, um, you know, ban Muslims from coming into the U.S. Um, And then you had the San Bernardino attacks in in 2015 as well, followed Mm. by the Paris attacks. And so with that, we saw this huge surge of Islamophobia and hate crimes and assault against Muslims, particularly women in hijab, because we're so visibly Muslim. Um, I remember in that time just being like extremely just like anxious and and extremely depressed, to be honest, because I was just constantly like hyper aware of my surroundings and and never knowing what was going to happen if if someone was going to attack me. Um, And just like, you know, being so overtaken by the news, being so negative all the time and hearing so many issues against Muslims where I was just like, I just need to unplug. Like I just completely just stopped reading the news. I had to step back. It was just too much. Um, How did you come back? um, I had to find other ways to heal um, and to step back. Writing became really big for me too at that time. I started to write every day write poems even if it was like super short poems like if it was one line and actually some of those poems are in this book mm-hmm. during that time um there's one I say where um it goes something like um Islamophobia is higher now than the week after 9-11 um at street corners I peek over my shoulder uncertain of what's lurking um xenophobia at my window I've drawn the curtains this home is dark now and so I wrote that at that time, just kind of like illustrating, you know, what myself and, and probably other Muslim women too in hijab were, were feeling at that time. Um, just never knowing, like, am I going to be next? Am I going to be the next victim? Someone's right. just going to come up on me and kill me, mm. you know, for simply, you know, donning my faith. Wow. Um, That's a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why sometimes, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I cover, sometimes I don't. Yeah. You know? And, for I, and that I went reason? through it, through the, yeah, for that reason. Mm. And when I go through it, sometimes, sometimes I cover, sometimes I don't. Okay. I, through that period, I went through mm. sort of the same thing. Sometimes when I, you know, I'm getting a little better, 
But yeah, it's a paranoid um, kind of thing, right? Because it's like, yeah, you don't, you're not sure, mm-hmm. you know. Especially when you're traveling, especially in the airport, right? You know what I'm saying? Like it's like just. But um, I'm getting, I'm gonna be getting more comfortable. That's what I told yeah. myself. Get more comfortable with it. And it's like this, this like idea of being invisible but hyper visible at the right. same time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like being super invisible to the point where like people just walk by me all the time and not to be like categorizing one group of people but it's honestly white people always walking by me all the time and just ignoring me just just straight walking by me like I don't exist I remember even during that time I was talking about especially like at work too just feeling so invisible literally walking by me in the hall and not even saying hello I was like wow it's like that um but then feeling also so hyper visible at the same time because I know like I know you see me I know you see this hijab on my head yeah you know um, so yeah, writing has just been like a great way for me to just heal through that process and, and also just to connect to other women as well. Um, so I actually, um, I recently just co-founded a woman's, uh, poetry collective. We're called Wisdom. Hey. hey. Yes. That's a dope name. And yeah, Wisdom. And we're actually gonna have our first debut January 31st at 9 p.m. at 90s Knowledge Cafe in Highland Park. Nice. Um, so we're really excited. We're a group of four-woman poets. Um, we'll be there. That's January 31st? Yeah. January 31st. I'll right. put that in the newsletter. Yes. And yeah, these women have just been like my rock the past year or so since I met them. We originally started in a different poetry group called The Guild. We performed a lot of shows, but we realized like we just needed that, that woman space, you yeah. know, where we can really just talk about stories that really connect to us and relate to each other and give that healing and supportive space that we need. Yeah. Um, so that's just been like a beautiful thing, you that know, coming beautiful. in the making. Up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Wow. I know. Who else wants to talk about? Well, I was just, just I like the idea of women wanting to be closer at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, we should have, there's our, there are tons and tons. Piper, you have been a pilot of women becoming closer, right? So it's during these times where things like this um, come about, I like to see people get closer. I like people to do self-reflecting. I like to see people ask the right questions and to become more informative. But the R. Kelly situation is very complex, uh, but at the same time, it's very simple. Um, For the last week, I'm just going to list off things from my perspective that I've seen. People talking to talking about grooming the word grooming right the root the the word music streams uh men taking accountability i've seen things of old standards society uh radio thoughts parenting uh i've even seen people in certain communities questioning the validity the the, the validity of validity lifetime, validity of lifetime alone Right, that, right, right. You know, but at the end of the day, you know, wrong is wrong, and you have to call, you have to call call things the way that you see them. And at the end of the day, you know, you you we have to. I love our black men, and I think from what I've seen from a perspective of, and you can talk about it more. But what I've seen is a lot of black men. I feel like are hurt at the fact that R. Kelly is being used as a tool to discuss this topic. Um. I just want to say to black men, I love you. I think that you are one of the most beautiful creatures on this planet. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you this. I have to to protect my black, not the black woman, but the black 
child yeah. that wants to become a woman right. more than anything. And I will forever, black man, have your back. But right. not on the back of a black woman mm-hmm. that right. is a child, that is 15, that is 16, that does not know the difference. I don't care if she is uh, fast. That's another key word I've, right. I've seen. I fast. saw that too. I don't care. At the end of the day, you are an adult and you have to learn how to put logical thoughts over your sexual nature. That's the end of and and, and and women as well. But in the context of this situation... And the complicit women as well. There was a lot of complicit you know, men and women all around. And I want to say shouts out to Professor Griff <clears throat> to add on to what Piper was saying. Progressive Pro- Professor Griff did a beautiful, beautiful YouTube video. Yeah, he did. On his support of Shouts women. out to Griff. And Piper, shout out to you for calling it like I, like you see it. Uh, earlier when, when this was going on, you basically in so many words said morality is greater than capitalism. Uh and I think that's it, that that's the truth. At the end of the day, we have to learn as a society to one take a take a look at what's going on and not see Aaliyah, the word Aaliyah. She's beautiful, rest in peace, Aaliyah, Detroit D- Detroit Detroit's own. But who does Aaliyah represent to you when you think about these things? Not Aaliyah, but who does she represent? And you know, we we have to take the time to really think about our more our moral codes and how often are we leaving them on a nightstand. But then going going back to pick them up when we're ready to throw someone under the bus. And again, I will repeat, R. Kelly deserves every piece of press that he is getting. Shouts out to the boondocks and the creator of the boondocks <laughs> who caught it like it is. <clears throat> yeah. Not every black man that is being asked or being convicted is Nelson Mandela. Right. That's where it lays for me. All right. Okay, now we need to hear from a man. So no, I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs> so we ain't. Uh, uh, I'm gonna keep it a hundred. I'm from Chicago. Uh, born at Michael Reese Hospital on the low end of Chicago. Grew up on the west side of Chicago. Chicago. Lived in Oak Park. Went to Oak Park River Forest. Wow, that was happening. Mm. So, R. Kelly's forever been for a long time. Um, and I and I know many people may not necessarily believe this but on the west side he had that reputation and he was canceled for us a while ago mm. from from real brothers who, mm-hmm. who, who are out there who knew he was a monster mm. like he was circling my high school you know what i'm saying shark mm-hmm. in the water everyone at my high school had his phone number for a month because he gave it away to certain girls mm. and then they called it so much that it got turned off mm. so that's it's this is very real to me. It's very mm-hmm. real to me that I know certain people involved in certain aspects of this situation mm-hmm. very closely. A girl I used to date and very closely knows people who were also in R. Kelly's circle. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not an abstract concept to me mm-hmm. as far as R. Kelly as a human being and what he's done. It is very much I I saw him outside of my prom picking up a girl Gosh. in her prom dress. So this isn't something that is just a concept to me. I've seen this, but not only that, I've seen this culture perpetuated on the west side of Chicago. I've seen this culture perpetuated even further, and I've seen excuses made for this culture, for people that I would and once have respected. And I saw it 
across multiple bands. And I think there's a strong socioeconomic standpoint to it as well. Right. To where the people who saw certain certain figures as a resource, as a yeah. way out, as a way of being able to to get certain other aspects um, that they didn't have, whether it be that love, that connection, whatever. The, the West Side of Chicago is still the West Side of Chicago to this day. And, you know, for as many parents as there were at Oak Park and River Forest who were looking out for, you know, their 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 kids, many of them also, good mothers, were complicit with allowing people to deal with the R. Kelly's of this world. And so seeing 20-year-olds and not just those in music, but those who were on the street with extra money, those that were drug dealers, those that were gangbangers, four-corner hustlers, we had a sad term at my school that there were girls who called themselves the fohos. Mm. And they hung with the four corner hustlers. They were being exploited by them. So this culture was prevalent in Chicago and there were men that fought against it, but there were also men who turned a blind eye to it and there were women who endorsed it and turned a blind eye to it too. Mm. And so then it's a lot to unpack when we're talking about this to me. You know, the idea of Bayan was talking about, about violence against women as a whole is a bigger umbrella that all of this lives under. Yeah. And then when we go to microcosms within our communities as well, when we're talking about what happened with the African-American community, when we talk about how our lives had no value, that they were breeding our women as soon as they had their periods mm. through slavery, that that there were certain inbred aspects of psychology that had been perpetuated over and over. And then you look at those old Southern families where grandma got married at 14 or 15 years old, right. you know, and, and had six babies by the time she was 23. And right. her husband was often in, in their 20s or things of that nature. That was a perpetuation the same legacy that devalued where that life was for not only black women but black men as well and if black men had enough value to seek after women who could be their counterparts instead of finding exploitive options Mm -hmm. that's also something that we have to unpack in this too there is a there is a a devaluing of of the the male mind that allows them to do that behavior Woo. That is not a strong man that does that. A strong man does not prey on a weaker woman. Mm. A strong man looks for a woman that is his partner that can help build him up, that resonates together at his frequency to create something bigger. Right. So, you know, I I understand he was molested, and that's probably what made him the weakened state to become the monster that he is, but R. Kelly's a monster. Right. And he's not patient zero. Mm. He is a symptom of a perpetuated legacy of abuse that mm. needs to be addressed. And so much more in the African-American community, I want to bring healing to all of us. We all need to heal from what we have. That's a small part of this, but also it still has to live in this lens of where the white patriarchy and misogyny and everything else and just misogyny in general takes yeah. us. So... All of these things live together. It's a lot to unpack when we're having this conversation, but I'm glad we're having this dialogue. But I stand firmly with black women and didn't take me to use the abstract of my mother or my daughter to say why. (laughs) Right. We're together as a community. Mm -hmm. We need to do the things that help us heal and grow together. Yeah. And what I don't want to happen and what I love 
that was said earlier is there is love for black men in this room. This isn't a black oh, yeah. male yes. bashing. I'm not in no, here we love, we love black feeling men. like I got to have my, my tail tucked between my <laughs> legs. I'm talking like a man. <laughs> but I'm talking like a man who understands that there are certain aspects that need to be corrected. Yeah. And this is a collective learning experience, man. The first things I ever learned was from a black woman, from my mother, how to eat in this world. Mm. Every black man learned how to eat in this world from a black woman. But I'll never forget that. That's what keeps you alive, right? So you should always have that respect. But in general, I want to keep learning from black women. And I want black women to keep learning from black men. Yes. I want us to keep building to get to a point where we don't have to have the the divide that causes this and that we can come together so we're not fighting against each other and saying black women are putting black men down and using R. Kelly as a proxy as an idea. Address him as the f the monster he is. Sorry, I had to catch my language right quick. No, you can curse. But, but. Well, the fucking monster he is. <laughs> yeah. And let him be addressed as that in his own monsterish world and not let it be a reflection of black men. Because it's not. Right. It's not. It's yeah. just that man. Well, you know, and it's interesting because I saw Boyce Watkins. Not that he's one to quote. I always have frustration. He's, he frustrates me. So why do I talk? Why do I give him energy? Look at Britney's over there struggling with the mic. It's Sorry. okay, Britney. I'm trying not to make so much noise, but it's hard. What are you trying to do? Like clip it on? Yeah. That spring kind of got an African drum feel to it. Yeah. It kind of so rolls. Okay. So. It's like a, a beat background. to it. background. Yeah, Ambiance music. Okay, you got it? Good. There we Gucci. go. Okay. Sorry, y'all. So, yeah. So, Boyce Watkins, man. He had really annoyed me. He made some dumbass video talking about, does this make all black men look bad? I'm like, can we please stop with these absolutes? Like, we're in yeah, we the third grade, and we only have one box of colors that's mm -hmm. only got, like, eight crayons and... Red, there's only red. Like, it's, red is only red. Like, there's not all these three... What is it, 36? We don't know that there's 36 million colors. Well, I mean, the only people that are seeing it... <laughs> it's, invis it's an invisible... We are, <clears throat> we're boxing ourselves in by even looking at it that way. No one right. else is saying that. No one... He just made that up. No one... The, the, I, I saw a young man who broke... Who there's so much truth in what he was stating. And you could tell that he was part, probably part of the Nation of Islam. And he was crying... And he was saying that there should be more, you know, documentaries out about just the the knowledge you just gave and how you broke it down. But he was in pain. And I wanted to tell him, I feel your pain. I understand. Like, I, there are so many things that I, un I don't understand, but I do understand about black men's pain. And that it's a pain that no one else in this world can feel. But at the end of the day, let not let us not br even bring that into the conversation. I do appreciate how there have been dialogues about a lot of different things, but let's keep that separate and use that as motivation to discuss those things when the time is correct. The time now is for us to say, how can we not fail another beautiful 14-year-old girl from Detroit? Right. Or all the other women. Right. So, I don't know. And it's human rights over black rights. And not even to put one against the other. But when it's a human element, human nature element type thing, then let's just deal with that as it as as what it is. But the, we can't do oppression Olympics, right? Because like, word, <clears throat> you know, what I'm and saying. I don't, and I say that again. Said it, so I that's what I'm saying. That, like, say verse. I yeah, have said, it's such it's a key like, word right now. I shouldn't have yeah, said it. But no, no. Point, but I just mean that that's what the conversation is, right? It's always like, my pain is worse than your pain. It's like pain is pain. Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Like, exactly. <laughs> 
You know, you can't quant- can't quantify like another person's experience. Right. You know what I'm saying? You can't. So that's their experience. You know what I'm saying? So, but at the same time, <clears throat> there do need to be. I really love how you said there need to be more spaces for black men, or at least I think I heard you say something around black men dealing with black men. Mm. We have to hold ourselves accountable first, right? And yeah. that's something that we do um, struggle with. I think mm. as as a whole, and and it's because you're taking shots from so many different angles as a black male and mm. as a black woman you understand this too so this isn't completely new to you but i think there's a narrative and there's definitely a shift in language that occurred um at a certain point to where now there's a certain crowd that's extra vocal in social media especially that perpetuates a narrative that black male masculinity is automatically toxic masculinity Mm. And that there's this idea that um, the black male is to what our race is as white racism is to our race. Uh. That we are the by proxy oppressor of African-Americans. I've seen Um, that. I've seen that. This is a narrative that's been perpetuated one too many times to the point where now even some of the more mid-range um, African-American males tend to get polarized in these discussions when it comes down to um, understanding and holding yourself accountable versus where, what feminism and misogyny represent and versus that whole conversation. That is a different struggle, I think, that many males cannot compartmentalize. Mm. So it gets to a point to where we're not breaking it apart and saying this is separate from that discussion. And so now these discussions start to get pushed together. And, you know, I mean, Very Smart Brothers wrote that think piece that, you know, the black male was the white male of black people. Oh my God, why'd they write that bullshit? You know, and then that created this conversation. And then from there, when you look at what we've gone to from society to the hyperpolarization of different sides and everything is either this or that and there's this level of virtue signal- signaling now that gets to the point where you can no longer just agree with you know the majority of the ideas i believe in if you call yourself a liberal and fighting for mm. the right idea you can't also almost believe in gun control like i can't have a gun i'm gonna have a gun you know why i got a gun <laughs> Because it's a bunch of rednecks doing drills in the backwoods. I said this in a rap before. They they doing drills in the backwoods. We this should be true. strapped in black hoods. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Right. White racist militiamen. <clears throat> they are. They're, you know what I'm saying? They so have their babies doing that. it. They have little girls right. doing yep. it. Little kids. So you got me talking about now, I want to hold my 2A rights. I want to believe in 2A, but now if I'm on the 2A side, you're aligning me with this conservative ideology that's lumped in with the Candace Owenses of black people. <laughs> Who we know, you know, sorry, you know, I hate to put a black woman out there negative, but Joe, trash. I mean, but it's Candace trash. Owens. Trash. But She's you know so what I'm saying? Trash. Or the Kanye's of the world, right? So mm-hmm. now when you look at this, it's become now I can't agree with you most of the time. I have to agree with you all the time or I'm completely wrong. And that's a bad situation to be in. And it hyper polarizes discussions to the point where there's no common ground anymore. None at all. Right. We need to get to a point where from a social psychological standpoint, we can agree to disagree on certain topics. And right. it's all right. It doesn't mean we're not in the same fight. And it's not the same thing as intersectionality either. 
It's not the same thing that automatically, you know, we find the lowest common denominator, the lowest hanging fruit that we go after together. And then we just break up again like the Tower of Babel fall right, apart, right, right. you know, kind of speech. Right. Well, well, humans are complex. Very complex. You know what I'm saying? Humans are complex. And it's not to like excuse trash behavior, but it, but it's to say that, <clears throat> we, you know, you can you can be like for gun control like me. I believe in that the second amendment right but i'm also what you what would what would be considered a pacifist like i don't even believe in guns but i believe that people should have the right to have guns do you know what i'm saying so that's mm-hmm. like already like what the hell are you talking about so to just try to force people like you were saying to be like no you've got to believe it this way like that's mm-hmm. where we're you know breaking apart because it's Is like it productive at that point not at all if you have to check every box for yeah, me to agree that you're an ally, that's a problem. Yeah. It's a problem. Because I'm never going to... Even... I believe black women. I believe black women. But I'm never going to be able to check every box that black women can check. Right. Never. It's just not going to happen because I have men issues too. Well, and then you can believe black women and at the same time understand that there's a such thing as called internalized misogyny internalized white supremacy you know that we all like you know suffer from so it's not you know um it's not far-fetched to see how people could feel you know polarized it's just that we don't practice like having conversations and communicating and we have no ways to have like conflict resolution so it's like all or nothing and you I, think, know? I think we see that in, and honestly, all communities of color, mm. you know, I see that even like in the Arab community too, where it's like any types of issues that are somewhat negative or could somewhat, you know, air our dirty laundry, we just brush it under the rug because mm-hmm. we don't want anybody else to see us in that way because we already got a stereotype. Yeah. So we don't want that double stereotype. You, hit it right right on it. you know what I'm Word. saying? Yes. Like, especially with that hyper masculinity, you see that in a lot of like black and brown men where it's like. But we don't want to talk about it because we already know there's that yep. that image of them as being angry and aggressive. Just like the woman, too, to be honest. Right, right. You know? You know what's interesting, too? Like, <clears throat> I don't know if I told this story on here before, but um, I'm involved in doing a lot of solidarity work, like black and brown solidarity. So black and brown meaning, like, you know, with Arab communities as well as, like, Latinx communities and Indigenous communities, right? And um, it's interesting here. So I lived in New York forever and ever. And although New York is racist as fuck, (laughs) Mm. be ye not deceived. (laughs) The racism just looks different. Um, now it's just open, man. You you call anybody anything up there and it's okay. You know, you guys, I mean, it's all going to go. Completely open. (laughs) It's all going to go. But it's like people are forced to come in contact with one another. So although they live separate, right, the the train, like, and walking and working makes people have to, like, interact with folks. So there is a certain level of um, interaction that's kind of normalized with folks, whereas here in Detroit, it's so segregated. This is the most segregated place I've ever been where everyone is literally like away from one another in their own bubble and they get in a car they don't even there's no real public transport they get in their car 
which means like you're even more isolated because it's not like you're around a lot of other people. You know what I'm saying? You're just like in your car. So whoever can fit in your vehicle. And then you go to like where you have to do your work. <clears throat> and when you go to do your work or your school or whatever, that's your performance. That's who you perform to be. Right? That performance self. And then you get back in that car and you go back into that house. So it's just interesting. We did a, um, we had an event once and um, it was at the Arab American Museum. And uh, Michigan Roundtable was the host of it. So imagine, like, I don't know, a couple hundred people is mixed Arab and Black and, and, and Latinx, but mostly Arab and Black. And the format was basically a huge circle. And there was an Arab Christian comedian. There was, and, and that was a, a guy. There was a Black American Muslim imam. Dawood Walid, who's been on our show twice, um, shouts out to him. Mm-hmm. There was a black Christian woman, and then there was an Arab Muslim woman. Okay, so it was like two men, two women, Arab mm-hmm. <clears throat> Christian, black American Christian, black Muslim, you know, Arab Muslim. Okay, so that so basically the format was each one got like 15 minutes to basically give... Um, what I would say is what, like a personal account or kind of like speak for the for that sector, if you will, more or less. And then folks got to react to that stuff after. But literally for about an hour, all four, you know, like spoke for their 15 minutes and gave their, <clears throat> you know, what they what they felt was like a tension in the community. What what, you know, from from that perspective. Mm-hmm. So then the second hour was it was a struggle everyone went around and talked and everything you know and um it was i mean anytime you're doing like racial solidarity work or racial equity work like it's real hard you know um i do a lot of it and it's 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 intense and um but it but people got through it people got through it they did a great job for a whole hour can you believe at the very freaking end of the hour of struggling through all of that the last comment was this one Lebanese dude who looked like a light-skinned black guy but he was Lebanese he got up on the mic and he goes yeah I got something to say we were gonna close too and he was like I have something to say I have something to say they said okay we'll give you the last word he goes I just want to say these fucking black guys, when they come into our store, they deserve to be murdered oh with their pants sagging down below oh their God. behind. And they come in here and they're nigger, nigger, nigger. Oh, my God. They disrespect us. Like, they deserve police to murder them. They deserve. Mm. Can you imagine mm. the entire place, like, almost imploded? Now, not only that, the director of Michigan Roundtable is a white man in his maybe 50s he didn't really know how to end that so he goes well okay the event's over and people were ready it was almost like the end of a wu-tang show in like 98 (laughs) people was ready to go to scrap to the point where like the one of my sisters i'm not gonna say her name because she's in the community she was sitting next to me she was about to go over and scrap. I had to hold her down. I was like, no, 
you know? And then, but from there, there was some Arab millennials that I got to give it to. They were like, they came up to me and her. Do you guys want to get together and talk after this? Because we're really triggered. I was like, sure. And because we represent Generation X, you know? So I was like, that's kind of cool, you know? Like two black chicks, Generation X, we get with these Arab millennials. We could kind of try to talk about some stuff because this is people who want to talk about stuff. We got together. This is so crazy. <clears throat> so the sister I'm telling I almost said her name, but the sister I'm telling you um, organized another roundtable, right? This time it was like smaller. They were like, oh, well, we'll do it smaller. So they got some of the um, young people that we work with at, at Wayne State from the Palestinian um, Students Association and... Then some of the other young people from the Black Student Union. And then some other people from community. We all met at the Bog Center, right? So it's like me, right? I'm African-American. Generation Gen X. Um, oh, I almost said her name. My, my friend. She's the same. And then it was a, another young man. He was Arab, a millennial, college student, um, Muslim. The um, young... People that the other young people that were millennials um, were, you know, Arab young millennial folks. They one was um, gender nonconforming, and one was queer, identified as queer, and and um, I'm not sure what the other young lady identified it, but she identified as she. And then there was an African American young man. He was a <clears throat> he was in his 30s, so I don't know if that's millennial. I don't know the name of that. Is that why? In that generation Y. That's the end of millennials. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, That's the end of millennials. Yeah. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> and then there was another African-American young man. I can't say his name, but he was also from uh, Black Student Union. He was graduating at the time. So, it was kind of a smallish, smaller group. We start going around. So, we didn't even get past introductions, yo. So, you know when you do introductions? So, I'll give this to the audience. So, when you do a lot of social justice work, it, you do what's called like introduction. Introduction has to include um, how you identify, whether it's your um, gender, your race, your ethnicity, your religion, um, where you're from, like however you want folks to, to identify with you, respect, things like that. And in your introduction, you probably, you know, name like your pronouns and things like that, right? So once we did the um, first round of, we did a first, and it's kind of long because people, Cause it's like your first meeting. So you want people to know like who you are and people usually say like, you know, when I was 13, I once came to, you know, whatever. So, um, so this young African-American man was first and I was last. So in his introduction of himself, <clears throat> he said, I'm the type of nigga that, right. And he referred to himself as nigga, like maybe seven times. Okay. So by the time he got introductions back around, like to me, I did my introduction. And then, because something we had to say was, um, what will make you feel safer in this space? What will make this a safer space? Right? So then I said, you know what I think will make this a safer space? Is if we um, don't use words like nigga and bitch in, while, we're having, while we're trying to do this solidarity work. 
this that trick that me saying that triggered the dude next to me to the point where he jumped in my face right i said it real like you know what i feel like for me what would make it safer because you say you said my name my myself said what would make this a safer space for me is if we didn't use words like nigga and bitch you know while we're doing solidarity and you know i appreciate that i didn't look at anybody i just kind of set it into the circle right he jumped in my face. He called me old and all this other stuff. And he got like so triggered that he triggered me. You understand what I'm saying? Because I'm from the hood and I have a proximity issue. You understand what I'm saying? Like if you get a little bit physically too much within what I consider a personal space, that's an attack. And that's just like a cultural uh, phenomenon. That's like a cultural, you know what I'm saying? So it put me on defense. So it put me back to like, Shaniqua, you know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> like, oh, you want to play catch? It, it put me catch back. these hands. Yeah, <laughs> it put me back to like, you know what I'm saying? I had a fight with, uh, you know what I'm saying? Shaniqua Jenkins back in like third grade. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Type of double Dutch type tease. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, oh, okay, but I was breathing. I gave myself the ten breaths. You know what I'm saying? Because I was recognizing, like, okay. But he kept jumping in my face like, I'll say what I want to say. You don't police me. Rah, rah, rah. I said, well, see, bro, this is what I mean right here. Um, This is unsafe. This behavior right here you're doing, like, I feel unsafe. He was like, you made me feel unsafe with this and that. Oh, my God. He triggered me so bad that I really do the best I can to be a respectful adult. But, bro, I had to, like, get in his face like a bear. Roar! I just like jumped on him. He was way bigger than me and everything. I just jumped in his face and I screamed him down to the point where he sat down and almost cried. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I had to give him that. <laughs> I had to give him that Janiqua Jenkins. You understand what I'm saying? I had to channel that energy and I felt bad because I did this to my black brother that was like younger than me. But I was had to let him know like, bro, you ain't going to threaten me. But that was inside him the whole time. What? He Which had part? To, he had to... He had to cry that out because he wouldn't have felt attacked. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's part of the issue. For him to feel so attacked by you to say not using that term. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, by him feeling put on the spot, yeah, the only way he could react was to lash out in a way to try to silence you or be overly aggressive to yeah. a point where it was near violence or anticipate an expression of violence. That's the cornered animal. Right yeah. before mm-hmm. you know, right before it cries. I like the way you yeah. And you know, it's it's not he lashed out out of a sense. Yeah, to an extent, he was kind of in a fearful mode because now he felt ostracized by the rest of the circle. He felt attacked, but he didn't know how to deal with that in a progressive manner. He didn't know how to address you in a state of being able to be respectful of that. So he lashed out in the way that he was taught or the way that he responded. It's just like when you corner another animal. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it was an animalistic response. So Part of that also, that's why I said it was in him before, mm-hmm. you know, like that's why he sat down and almost cried because that was the position he was in that made him jump up in the first place. Bro, he so, was about to get it. You know, like and I think you I felt bad about it. A better it. way though. Hmm? I think you had to handle it. I think the way you handled it was probably the best way you could handle it in the situation. But oh yeah, no, it wasn't good. That wasn't well, what adults a, should be doing. No, in, in that situation, there was probably in, no other yeah, way to handle it. She did it in it. two steps too. She. You said it calmly <laughs> first. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, Brittany has a point. Like you tried to address mm-hmm. it in I did. a way. I did. That was I said. Calm I said. First. I said. For me, I said. We're, I said in the land of safety. This is what I said first when he when he first jumped because he was in my face. I said, mm, 
Can I relax myself? I felt myself getting hot, you know? I said, okay. I said, well, in the land of safety, this is what I'm talking about. This is unsafe. This is unsafe right here. This is what I'm talking about. Why we shouldn't use the word, you know? It's triggering, blah, blah. Woo! Then when he went extra in, only thing I could feel was like, is he going to put his hands on me? You know what I'm saying? Like I had that, did y'all see that that that, that tape of the chick with the dude that dragged her over from McDonald's? <laughs> and she got I had that type of feeling, bro. I was feeling that right there. Like, oh, wait a minute. Because I thought he's, was going to put his hands on me. So then that's when, you know what I'm saying, my my tentacles like flared up. So I was like, oh, man, I can't believe I'm about to be in a hood situation. Mm. But um, afterwards, my friend took me out to dinner. She was like, you know, that was terrible the way you handled that. That was horrible. But I said, yeah, okay, it was. She was like, you owe him an apology. Mm-mm. I was like, I was really contemplating because I'm an apology type person. I apologize. But I really thought about it. I said, no, because he has to know that that's not right. You can't jump in the person's face because something they say upsets you. Know that if you physically get, if you try to physically get with a person, know that that person has the right to physically get with you. But that's just my philosophy. Or you're embarrassed by something you said and you have no other way but to rap, to lash out. You know what I'm saying? That's more so what I think it is. It's not, you called him out on saying the word and using it as a descriptive of himself. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. So now that's a reflection of himself. Now you're right. calling him out on something that he feels honestly embarrassed about and Cornet had no way other than to respond. Yeah. So part of that also is his level of articulation of, of his own messaging and feelings. If he was in a state to where he's describing himself as the type of nigga that, then you kind of got to understand he's not articulating a higher level of thought and ideas and doesn't have the vocabulary to challenge you in that situation in in a logical manner. So getting him to a point to where you address it to where he doesn't lash out, yeah, that's a skill, but it wasn't necessary then. You know, it shouldn't have been necessary then, especially in the circle and the conversation that you guys were having. It's supposed to be a safe place, right? Supposed to be. And you're talking about like what you're makes you safer. About creating a safe place. <laughs> so if you're talking about different words, I mean, if you don't want somebody to use one or two words that are deemed offensive by the majority of people like in a real life situation and I can give you you know justifications of why I could say and word whatever nigga this nigga that like that's not the point mm-hmm. the point is the people that are in that environment would like to use certain words to dis- to have this discussion to facilitate right. things going forwards and if you're going to have that level of discussion then do that and be honest to that situation and don't take it personally well, let me tell you what the, what the, even, it's not funny, but it was just funny in hindsight. The Arab brother, he got so triggered. Like the Arab people, they were getting triggered, right? Because they were looking like side to side, like, oh, snap. You know what I'm saying? So he looked and he was trying to calm it down. Because I guess he felt like, you know, okay, I'm not going to let this dude jump in her face. Because also I'm Muslim, so they know me from the masjid. So these are also my Muslim like young people that I actually like work with and everything. So he felt some sense of responsibility too. So he kind of jumped up like, but, but being respectful, you know what I'm saying? Like, Hey, Hey, he's like, I think that, you know, um, when we're here, if we want to be safer, (laughs) like black people should talk about black things and Arab people talk about Arab things. (laughs) Oh my God. 
but that everybody was a black lashed thing. out. Everybody lashed out at him like, bro, you're a nigga too. <laughs> you can't separate yourself. And he looked so confused. He was like, me? <laughs> he was looking around like, me? And then the, the young ladies that were there were like, what do you mean? And then we start having conversation like everyone here is a nigga. <laughs> That's why we shouldn't use the word because everyone here is a nigga. <laughs> anyway, but that was how the conversation was going. And the young ladies were just looking like, yeah, I never thought about it like that. It's like, yeah, like this internalized white supremacy is like impacting everyone here. So what can we do to like not have that? In in this, as we're trying to like build, you know what I'm saying. So it kind of turned into that. Like I think towards the end, it got real like heated and scary. But I think that um, after a while, it kind of, you know what I'm saying. Like it surfaced that um, mm-hmm. that that's some more necessary work that like deep, intentional, necessary work that like really needs to be done. I think that brings us back full circle though, too, mm-hmm. to the idea of. Why is it okay for violence against women? Because mm. I was a violent mode, technically. Yeah. If you look at a black man in that situation, he was clearly bigger than you. Oh, he yeah. He wanted to use intimidation to yeah. make you not respond. Why is that okay as a means of communication with our people? And why is that even an acceptable way to communicate? You know, and that that internalized violence, same reason why grandparents were grabbing switches and whipping ass. Yeah. You no, know, it's it's not like this idea that the only correction within our community is is violence or anger or raising a voice as opposed to talking things out and being able to communicate and, and articulate why things are wrong and then give people a better idea mm-hmm. or a better reason of or way to express themselves that underlies discipline now and I'm not talking about like timeout culture cuz it ain't finna be no like I don't do timeouts with my daughter. Like we talk. Like, but I talk to her in a way to where she understands when Daddy's disappointed. That's a bigger thing to her than anything else. Yeah. And when I speak to her, if I raise my voice at all aggressively, mm-hmm. it's done then. But it's not even like to raise my voice aggressively. It's to say in a commanding way, "What are you doing?" And when I stop yeah. her to question her. To snap her back is when she has those responses because she knows how to use her words. Right. And she knows to understand and articulate. And I bring that back to her. Mm-hmm. That education in our community is something that through whatever means of, of, of the elimination of, of reading materials or people not, not valuing intelligence because intelligence was stripped from us and we were so valued in, in, in physicality and in emotional response mm. and what we're able to bring. And that even goes to how we express ourselves through music, through song, through everything that we do. It's an emotional kind of feel. It's not necessarily um, a, a, a left brain thing mm-hmm. to people and in, in, in how they would um, address problems. That similar way empowers that behavior. And, and when we get to a level to where we're able to communicate effectively and to empower our kids and talk to them like, like young people as opposed to talking to them as a child and, and thinking that you have to to dumb down what you say. Right. There, there's an expansion of the brain that goes, and your neocortex actually expands faster the more words you're exposed to every single day. 
So the more words you can give, the average person only uses about 600 to 6,000 words a day when they're talking to a small child. It's closer to 600. You need to be using thousands of words when you're talking to this child because they know nothing. You have to fill that sponge. You have to create those neural pathways. The brain expands like a tree. It branches out. That's how neurons grow. Mm. You have to build those connections. The only way that you can build those lasting connections is to give them that language, give them those extra different ways to think, and then keep building upon that. So then they can build more pathways off. You don't talk to kids in baby language and simplify. Oh, heck you know. You build that up. <laughs> but that same thing is also the language that we use when we talk to each other. We use a, such a limited vocabulary mm. in the hood. Half yeah. of it becomes slang, half of it becomes this. We invent new words because we lack the depth to be able to understand and articulate ourselves through the vocabulary that already exists. Mm. If this we had true. that and we had that way, we wouldn't have to invent those words. Also, they stripped our language, though. Right. So there's feelings that we have that we lack the language to articulate. This is true. You know, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. It's, it's similar to when you look at some foreign languages, for example. You look at how Koreans, um, when the United States put South Korea out there um, and they were trying to train South Korean pilots, the South Korean language itself had, was so ingrained with hierarchy mm -hmm. that they had to teach those pilots English or else one would automatically be subordinate. So your co-pilot would be talking to the pilot as a subordinate mm. and not using his name or not using the words that you would say like, hey, my co-pilot, my pilot, my co-pilot. It was this proper word in Korean that had to denote a level of respect. Mm. So then they had to change that. But that's how that language is structured, right? Mm. And that same language affects how you think. That yeah. language affects how you bring together complex thoughts yeah. and then make them articulate. So we need to give our people the tools to be able to not communicate with that violence, to not communicate from that same spot. Because half of that comes from frustration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and frustration is is the lack of an adequate response. Yeah, it's so important to have critical conversations with our youth. You know, as you know, I'm a, I'm a teacher, high school uh, teacher in Detroit, and so yeah, I definitely use a classroom as a space where they can just freely have open dialogue and conversations about social issues and issues that are happening in their own communities and in their neighborhoods, and even things that are going on in the school that's bothering them, um, because they don't, they don't get to talk about these things. You know, they always feel so silenced or kind of like what you were saying, so like belittled, like they're little kids. Um, so I really try to like create, you know, an environment in my classroom where they can come in and feel like young adults that they are and, and talk about conversations and topics that are important to them. Um, and it's really unfortunate because I have seen incidences of, of our young boys, uh, you know, physically you know, being abusive to, to some of the girls or threatening them, things like that. So we can see that starting at a young age. And, and that's why it's so important to start having these conversations at this time, especially when they're young adolescents and they're starting to, you know, really develop who they are at that time. And, and they're at that time, they're also developing their, you know, ideas and concepts about the world around them and where they fit into that. Mm -hmm. And, and who am I in terms of, um, you know, what's my masculinity or what's my femininity and how do I fit into that, especially, you know, with my race or, or where I grew up. Um, a lot of that too, I notice, um, you know, comes strongly with poetry. So I also have a youth poetry club and 
it's really disheartening, you know, when we come together every week, we always start with kind of like just a round table discussion and we just talk about whatever's on our mind. And it's always like this sad feeling, you know, they're just like, I'm just, I'm not happy. You know, school sucks. No one gets me. No adults can listen to me here. There's no one I can trust or I can talk to. You know, I can't even talk to my own parent. Um, and just like, I don't think we realize sometimes like how much our children are hurting. And that is what grows into these monsters that we were talking about earlier mm. or, you know, something yeah. that's negative. Right. And so that's why it's so important to have these spaces, you know, whether it's in the classroom or in a poetry space or, you know, in a dance room, where, wherever it is, whatever it could be, where they can really just express themselves creatively and, and safely and um, develop themselves in a, in a positive way, you know, with, with people like their own age. Um, with safe or, adults Yeah I was just gonna say yeah. Even with adults to, to to be able to express yourself To an adult And not be told What you know about this or, Right Or you You think that's a problem you, you ain't got problems Till you got bills But to be in a space With an adult That is listening And allowing that Type of energy I think is beautiful Yeah it's important mm-hmm. It's necessary it It's so needed And unfortunately With our education system Now across the city It's just it's it's so unstable. It's abysmal. So unstable. I have so many students that don't even have an English teacher or a math teacher right now. Yeah. And that's, 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 that's like normal. a normalcy. Yeah. That's normal right that's now. That's normalcy. I you wanted know? to ask you both a question. So, and you do very detailed work as an educator. And you uh, seem to speak well for the black man. And not all black men, but I think that you do a good job of breaking things down for the, the, the sub-compartments of black men. So what do you think, what do you both think about the relationships that black men have with each other? Don't, you can separate it by age and we, not necessarily the father to the son, but I'm talking. The, the, like the, just relatable. Yeah. You and your friendship group, you and what, what is that? Is it, is it, is it, is it healthy? Is it productive? Is it is there accountability? And what do you see with the relationships with the, the children that you're teaching, the relationships the black boys have with each other as well? Um, it's interesting because I definitely do see it's twofold. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I see how positive it could be, you know, you know, like, oh yeah, these are my boys, this is my family, this is my blood, and I see such like strong bonding between them especially when it's like someone that like lives down the street from them but then I also see the negative aspects where I hear them you know in the halls or wherever talking really downly on women um you know or um sometimes not seeing them as their equals you know okay so I think that's a very complex question um, I'm going to address it um, two different ways. So, in the first, how do I? How are my interpersonal relationships, and how do I see them as black men who are friends or who are part of a certain inner circle together? Um, those relationships, some are evolving to be healthier as it's more common to express your emotions as a man. Okay. Um, so within 
friend circles, within certain things like that, there are ways where brothers uplift each other and they find ways to um to empower each other and you know use terms when they're very close such as love and you know aren't scared to give you man dap and a hug you know but overall um you know it, it's still an era of competition and it's always been a, a a competition between males it's it's partially ingrained in the dna of masculinity that we have not yet surpassed from a cultural standpoint we are past that mentally that we shouldn't be hyper competitive violent anything like that but from a biological standpoint a hundred thousand years ago isn't that long from an evolutionary train so there are certain instincts that men fall back on that they don't let their higher brain navigate and those exist especially in situations where somebody's representative of the other or outside of your circle then we can be very violent towards each other we can treat each other very viciously we can put each other down we kill each other men kill each other when they get mad it happens that's what it is that's a a, a Mm. hyper masculine throwback to animalistic ritual it's not where our higher minds should take us um and that still happens also, and that instinct happens within friend groups, within certain competitive instances. I've seen friends punch each other in the face over a cup of Kool-Aid mm. as younger males. Because you couldn't have the Kool-Aid, but then it became about this dominance and this posturing. And then all of it became posturing and dominance, and everybody's watching. And now who's going to back down first? And oh, I'm mm. not going to back down first. You're not going to back down first. Who's the hoe in this situation? I ain't going to be a hoe. And now it's like mm. this, right? And it never should have gotten to that. And those are friends. Yeah. And, and now women and girls do this. And, but it became mm-hmm. this competitive mm. posturing, right? Mm. And and all of that still, to, to me, a lot of this goes back to how we acculturate ourselves into groups and how sometimes no matter the, the, best, the best intentions, we tend to devolve to tribalism even sometimes within our own friend groups like those are my homies but that's my best friend mm. and me and best friend you know i can give them hugs same thing happened with girls but that's best friend we can talk that you can talk to me like that we can do that you can't do that though mm. you know and and nah you went too far but yeah. you know those are also the men that you know i can express myself to the real close homies you know what i'm saying like but I can't cry in front of you because you're going to judge me and think I'm soft. And then I might have to go at it with you later because of this competitive yeah. mindset that shouldn't exist. So that's why I say when it's a, it's a complex conversation to me yeah. because there's an anthropological basis to part of this tribalism and part of all of this craziness that I think society, while we want to be more evolved than that, we ain't that far yet uh, from a physical response standpoint. I, I just think Adrenaline I, exists for a reason. All of those other things exist and they happen. I, I just ask because I think a lot goes into how a man treats a woman or even views a woman. And I think a lot of it is just how he sees himself and how he sees himself is the reflection of the people that look like him that have the same body parts as him and how those relationships are. Not to mention the relationships you have with your mother. I just... You know, it's all interesting. It's all complex, but it's all very simple. Let that me was another something. conversation, though. We, we can get what, to that one part? later. The the how men relate to women 
outside of that, which you try, you kind of delved into too. That's a whole nother competition, like and how men interact, and then how that relates to women. It's a that's a different I've, answer I've, for a, for a different time because I've dominated the mic for a little bit, so pass the mic. Sorry, Pipe. No, well, I was just gonna say what <clears throat> something that I found was interesting. Um, I went to Vermont once, mm-hmm. once, and I got invited. Vermont. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think if Vermont or Maine are which one is whiter. They have like a competition in whiteness. <laughs> but um, let's just say they're both pretty white, right? I would say Maine because Maine had that governor that said he didn't want black people in because oh, he was going to yeah, pull them I over every time. I remember that. All black people do is bring drugs. That was the mayor of, or the governor. That of Maine. was kind of recent. That was the governor of Maine. Yeah, he's a jackass. So Vermont, I went there maybe 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. They invited me as a part of a delegation that went because uh, uh, racial equity work, but also through the lens of environmental justice. And so um, ironically or happily, they wanted me to come um, speak about black liberation because mm-hmm. they, they wanted to know. And they wanted me to be on this panel. And on the panel, you know, um, they wanted they wanted to just learn. So these were white folks that do environmental justice that I can say want to do better in their racial equity, which is difficult in Vermont because it's not that much equity. I well, mean, what I mean is everybody's white. Vermont kind of diso though because Ben and Jerry's be doing a lot of cool stuff. So show yeah, some love to Ben and, and Jerry's. So so yeah, so like right. <laughs> so like culturally, <laughs> they are farmers, working class. Um, a lot of poor people, but a lot of people with a lot of money, a lot of wealth, a lot of real stupid money, but then a lot of poverty. So a lot of white people on welfare and that kind of thing. But um, a, and a more homogenous type of society where people are more alike, look alike, same race and same sort of socioeconomic everything. But what I found was this was so strange. Um, you know, in, in social justice, you go in all these different breakout groups when you're doing these workshops and things like that. So there was one breakout group that was for the people of color. It was a people colors people of color space. So a lot of times in these social justice spaces, um, we have to have like a black liberation breakout group or we have to have, you know, so that people can caucus, right? So there was a people of color breakout group. So let's call it in this conference, let's say there was probably like a few hundred people at the conference. And let's say there was probably like 60, um, like about 50, 60 people of color um, that were at the conference that attended this group. And I was um, from Detroit. Mm -hmm. There was like, I think, Someone from New York City, someone from, um, uh, I think, California. There was a couple from California and um, some people from, like, New Jersey and, like, some different places. And then, but there was, like, I want to say, like, five to about ten people that were from Vermont. And 
maybe 15, like, 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 let's say it was maybe even 15 that were from Vermont. And as we were going in the circle, because remember I told you we go in these circles and we talk about ourselves and everything. So we're learning from people. As we were going in the circle, 100% of the people from Vermont that were people of color that were in that circle were adopted. And I found that so strange. They were from like Peru or some some other somewhere, right? And there was a couple of black young people. Everyone there was maybe about twenty five and up. Okay. And so um, it was a lot of younger people there, younger to me because I'm forty six, but let's say in their twenties, twenties and thirties. And <clears throat> the conversation got so deep. To where one young lady, the young lady from Peru, told her story about how she she had grown up privileged, if you will, monetarily in, in the land of capitalism. She grew up privileged um, in this white home that had adopted her. She said that she went to the best schools. They sent her to college and all of that. But she had to come home um, and stay in with her parents. And she said how growing up she was always the maid and she had to do all the cleaning and all that. Interestingly enough, all 100% 15 of those people had that same story about how they wow. were adopted and they were, and how they were like the only person of color, like mm-hmm. and from miles and miles around them. So they were the only person of color at their school. They were the only person of color in their neighborhood, they never really saw any other people of color unless it was on television. They were adopted. They were made to be the maid or the this or the that or the... And the amount of trauma that was in that room, mm. well, it was heavy. Like, they were all super crying. Like, some of them were, you know, telling stories about, you know, feeling trapped in those homes that there was a lot of... Um, wealth that they were surrounded by wealth and they had what what we would call access meaning like these great schools that they had you know gone to or well it was a great school but let's say like in the land of what people would consider a great school they were they had gone to and so they had this education so one of the young ladies said how she had found her mom on MySpace or Facebook or something and she said she started communicating with her. And she said she had to ask her mom, like, why'd she give her up? And the mom, you know, told her that, that it was like a struggle, but she had a bunch of other children. And she thought that she was giving her to these white people so that she could have a better life. And um, like two of the other people had found their parent and their parents said the same thing to them that they thought they were given to the white person because they wanted, they felt like um, this white person is going to be able to like take care of my kid and blah, blah, blah. But meanwhile, this white person then turned your child into a slave. So it was just like this interesting listening. Um, it turned into like this interesting listening session. Um, in native cultures, they call that the talking circle where you listen to like each person speak and things like that. And it just brings out all this wisdom, but it was so heavy. People were just crying and it felt like 
or rebirthing. Mm-hmm. And all those people, the weirdest thing, I felt like I was in a twilight zone. They all came to me because I had been on the panel and talked about black liberation and how I had grown up in, you know, African-centered school and African-centered community and in a black city, you know, and all this. And it's like all the people of color, but especially the black people came to me and were just asking me a million questions about what it was like to grow up with other black people and like have your identity and like all this kind of thing. So while for me, I appreciate my upbringing I always say I never knew I grew up in poverty, which no one ever believes me, but I didn't know I grew up in the projects. <laughs> I, thought, I didn't know. Because you was that rich in spirit. I, we were, I, did, I did not 100%. know that I grew up in the projects until this dude hit me up on Facebook. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> about five years ago. And was like, Pipe, remember we used to do this in the projects? And I was like, I didn't grow up in the projects. And he and. And then when I went back, I was like, oh, snap. I grew up in a project. I didn't know. Uh, that might be the cutest thing that I have ever heard. I didn't even know. To me, it was our community. That's a community. But anyway, I'm just thinking about it. Like, so just thinking about like that. You understand what I'm saying? Like, and it goes, I'm just taking it back to like what you said earlier, Andrew, about um, the resource like deficit that caused the whole, like, not even just to blame just R. Kelly, but in the music business or at work or even Me Too or just any of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, just this, this, like, there's, like, this layer of, like, capitalism that just, like, is really, like, I don't even know how we deal with capitalism. But, but I mean, I know, and, and it's so interesting because people say to me, it like, um, you know, with like with the gun thing, like guns don't kill people, people kill people. So like, you know, capitalism doesn't hurt. Remember, uh, remember, uh, we had uh, Ryan on here, Ryan Mack talking about capitalism. He's a black capitalist. He was like, capitalism doesn't hurt people. But for me, I feel like within the system itself is greed and is this hierarchical thing and so, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to do ab- about it, though, because, you know, I'll be just like the rest of them. I'm like an anti-capitalist that's like, yo, I'm getting paid. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, I mean... I don't know what to do about it. That's 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 a real point, though. But, like, <coughs> like I said a line before in a song, the system, it needs injustice. Capitalism hustles suckers. Mm. That's... For capitalism to work, someone must be exploited. Somebody got to be in the bottom. You know, and it's not necessarily just, you know, creating a lower caste, but it's exploiting a caste system. Mm. Because you have to have somebody who's going to work for you to then funnel those resources. And it's just part of how that system inherently will always have losers or always have people less than based on the economic systems that are at play. Mm. It's never going to be an equal system. So in that same aspect, then when you're trying to defend capitalism, you have to defend the idea that there are people who are just out there to be exploited, which is a whole nother conversation. And it's a, we got to bring you back on the podcast and just talk about more stuff. If you want to talk about the value of life, I think there's a hybrid idea of where we need to get to, and we haven't gotten there yet. These are still outmoded systems of thought. 
yeah. even what communism was in its original expression is an outmoded system of mm-hmm. thought based in Marxism and the ideas right, that right, evolved right. from that and socialism as as a a different evolution right. but a step. It's a constantly evolving system, and yeah. we got to get better. The best thing that I can see right now that's helping us with this is technology. Yeah. And you mean like crypto or? Just the way that now. Uh, um, Uber, Airbnb. Not even just that. That that still feeds back into this. That still feeds back into the capitalist system, but it, it's also part of like a barter system. It's like a barter yeah, and a like trade, a, right? Yeah. So that's that's a little different. But no, what I mean is, is like as as we're having this new technological revolution, as you're starting to see what's happening with the um, evolutions in AI and how um, basically like when you look at the systems of of how when we went to an agricultural society anthropologically, how it doubled the whole, it doubled the the economic base of the world over a period of hundreds of years. Then when you went to the technological revolution and industrial revolution doubled the world's economies within a, a period of roughly like decades. And and then now when you look at what this new technology revolution is bringing us, right, there's a point to where it is now going to be incumbent on us to be intellectual and sharing in knowledge and being wealthy in that because what we create is being more limited as these things are created by by machines as these things that we used to do that were computational are now being done by machines as filing the file clerk no longer exists it's all in a crypto cloud somewhere you know like all of these things are creating more freedom and then when we start to look at that as as the divestment of constant labor then now what do you have to share but the human capital of intellect and then where that brings us further to evolve into the next ideas of thinking and the next technological revolutions and the next things from there. But those are going to be intrinsic on people and of sharing ideas. So as those grow, capitalism has to die because there's not going to be workers to exploit because you're going to have fucking machines doing half of it anyway. Nah, so bro. now what are They're you They're going to put everybody in prison. That's okay. what the privatization of prisons is about. I have a question for all three. Everybody gonna be working from prison. So if we get if capitalism, <laughs> if, so, I'm not dealing with you on that one right now. That's a whole another conversation. If capitalism <laughs> is removed, are you suggesting that moral standards go up? Mm, it's hard to say because it's just it's so ingrained in us right now. Mm. You know, it's hard to even imagine. Speak what, on it. What it would be like. It's but I'm just, I'm just saying I'm I'm asking that to say, if, do are people people regardless of what system is in place? If morals if morals aren't looked at the same, or is capitalism keeping us from being moral, or are we just are have we gotten so far away from morals? I don't draw a direct correlation between economics and moral behavior. You there sure? is, th- th- it's not a direct correlation. There are impacts. There's there's some causal behavior, but there's no direct correlation between the two, because in a communist system, for example, look what happened with communism. Mm. Look what Stalin and all his people did. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Look what Mao did. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's not. A, a, look at what happened in Cuba. So right. it's not. Or what's happening? Look, trust me, I, I agree. got peoples from there. So when I you start agree. to look at the systems. <coughs> It's not, and and people would argue, well, that communism only existed within a capitalist environment. So if you took it away in a vacuum, it might be a beautiful utopia. I call no, bullshit no, on no, that. No, 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 no. 
I'll call bullshit on that. I think we have to evolve, and it's not necessarily a direct correlation between. Do between we have? The two. And do we? What What is ever when you say? What is the What is the definition of evolve? I think that the the systems of how we share resources. When I'm talking about evolution from an economic standpoint, the system of how we share resources and how we value each other in the sharing of those resources has to grow to a point that is more equitable in how those resources are applied for the betterment of all of us. That, to me, is evolution within an economic system. And it's not necessarily fairness, it's equity, which are two different conversations. Right, right. This is so beautiful. We got to bring you back, bro. Yeah, she's so genius, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I appreciate you, sister, but it's inspiration from this conversation, man. That's Everyone in this room is great minds, and you know we're just vibrating on some good, good vibes right Vibin'. now. Vibing. Speaking of vibes, yeah, I want to get to your vibe. I know this <laughs> poetry. Yeah, because you know, and he's an MC too. He's a battle MC, so you know he know that come off the top. <laughs> All right, I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna throw you a, a, a alley oop. Based on what's in what's in that book, where where are you where are you from? Who me? What what what? Where are your roots? So I'm Algerian, mm. but I was born and raised here in the states, Michigan. I I asked that because one of your your poems kind of full circles this whole conversation that we are we are separate but we are all equal. Mm. And you mentioned in one, I think, one of your poems that people are always so intrigued. You, you just mentioned earlier that you're either you're either looked at closely or not looked at at all. Right. So in, in the book, you mentioned people are always wondering, you're such a mystery to what you are and right. how you identify. Mm-hmm. And you quickly remind people that we are all the same. And I thought that was beautiful. Thank so, you. Yeah, I just wanted to get that shout out. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us about the book again. It's a really beautiful cover. Thank who you. did this? So, okay. yeah, I got to shout out the artist. Yes, uh, who did this artwork? Detroit artist, Marlo Brufton. Um, Beautiful. Can you describe the, the cover for Yeah, folks? so the cover is, it's a painting of me, and ha- you see half of my face in a head wrap with this old style, like, North African um, earring. Mm. Um, but I'm also wearing these black shades, so I'm kind of giving this, like, mix of North African, but also American vibe, and that was, you know, purposefully done. Mm. You know, the title is Diary of a Daughter in Diaspora. So meaning like this is my diary. This is my journal of of everything that I'm experiencing here in diaspora in this country where I feel like in a in a divide between two cultures and, and two lands where I don't feel like I fit here. But I also don't feel like I fit when I'm there in Algeria. No, you no you. um Your parents are Algerian. Mm hmm. But are you from here though? But I was, yeah, I was born here. So then you, so Algeria, when did you go there? I've been there several times. But I meant like, like your initial Most time. recent. Or you, the first time you went? Um, I went when I was like real young where I couldn't even remember. Mm. Um, went several times. I think when I was two, when I was four, I, I don't remember those so you've trips. So been, you've been going though. And then I went when I was 13 mm. and then when I was like. 20. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, and then you went recently. That, yeah. My most recent time was when I was 20. Okay. So back in like 2013 or something like that. Okay. Okay. And so, um, Algeria to you is that home? 
And see, that's what's conflicting. And that's something I kind of like, when you read in my poems, it's something that I'm trying to figure out and trying to discern is like, what is home for me? Um, You know, where, where do I necessarily belong? And even since publishing this book, I feel like I've actually gotten a somewhat better understanding. The more I reflect and the more I have conversations with people about this topic that so many other you know, other people I notice have also had this similar, you know, um, this confusion or this, this, you know, conflict of being in diaspora. And I've become just more comfortable with just like who I am and, and like being in my identity um, and having this like mixture between, between, you know, the two um, and just like being okay with that, you know? So I have a question because I used to go to Paris a lot mm-hmm. and... There's a lot of Algerians in Paris. Right. Like, so That's, many. Yeah, the highest number of immigrants go there. Oh, man. In Paris, like, mm-hmm. the Algerian ratio is almost like the Puerto Rican ratio in New York. Yep. And um, the, the hip, like, if you go to, like, south of France, like, Marseille, like, the hip-hop, like, the par- mm-hmm. the hip-hop in Paris and Marseille and all that is dominated by the Algerians. You is know that what I'm why you say, no, I don't speak French? Yes. Okay. Because people, people always ask that whenever I say Malajir, like, oh, do you speak French? Because like, no. mm. <laughs> that makes that makes more sense now. I didn't know yeah. it, like in Algeria, like a lot of people, it was you know. Yeah, because that's like the second language there in Algeria, okay. and so yeah, when I tell people I'm Algerian, so my poem you read earlier, people find it so funny. I say, um, um, I tell you I'm from Algeria. Ask me one more time if I speak French. Fuck no. Excuse my French. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's dope. So now, Alger- now this is going to be. Now, don't take offense to this question. I'm okay. only asking because um, do you consider yourself African? Mm-hmm. I do. Oh, thank God. And I barely. barely <laughs> it's so dope. That's so dope. Like, yeah, oh, thank I'm, you. Thank definitely. you. I'm so happy. And it's interesting, yeah, because. Um, <laughs> Definitely, like, growing up, like, in, like, predominantly Syrian, mm. Palestinian communities, mostly Syrian, um, I definitely felt very different. And I knew that, you know, just, like, off the bat, even when I was little, I could just feel being different. Mm. Um, you know, even though, like, to an average person, I seem more fair skin, but, like, to them, I'm definitely darker. And especially right. in the summer, I get very, like, tan. Mm-hmm. Um but like culturally, are even, you, would you say I'm, because you use the word diaspora. For me, diaspora always means right. Africa, but I don't yeah. know if that's what you mean. Yeah, just, okay, I okay. think, but even more so in a general sense of like being away from your roots and mm-hmm, your homeland, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, where your people originally like come from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what I mean by when I say diaspora. Mm-hmm. Um, because technically speaking, like I'm first generation, like me and my siblings are the first ones born here. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you speak Arabic? Slightly, I'm not. I'm not the best. Mostly your prayer. Um, yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not the best at it. I don't practice it, to be honest. Can Can you understand it if it's spoken to you? You know what's crazy is like I only understand it when my mom speaks to me, which is mm. weird. Like when she speaks to me, like I understand it perfectly. But when I hear other people talk to me, or I'm like, whoa, I don't know what you're saying. Or slow down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I can actually usually understand the Syrian dialect because, like I said, I grew up around a lot of them growing mm-hmm. up, so I can usually understand them. But other people I have difficulty understanding. Um, but yeah, definitely going back to what you're saying, like I definitely identify with being more like North African. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And something I also get conflicted with and like you see in a lot of my poems I get confused about is like, you know, technically speaking, Arab is not like a race. Right. But lately we've been claiming that as a race because we don't know what else I think to claim mm. to. Exactly. Um, and so that's why it's like, even me as a North African, it's like, yeah, technically speaking, we're, we're Arabs. We speak Arabic there. That's the language. But we don't really identify with what's like, the norm Arab culture, mm. which is like Middle Eastern culture, because right. we're not Middle Eastern, we're, we're African at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and like, even like, because so, so much of it is so different, like our foods are different. And even like our foods, for example, and our clothes and our dance is very similar to the rest of the other African countries, mm. more so like more than Middle Eastern countries. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I also identify more with being African. What's the food? Um, so our national dish is couscous. Okay. Yeah. Okay. My favorite. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then we have like a lot of French inspired too, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. obviously. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite? Um, what was your favorite when you went back when you were 20? You know, it's hard to say cause it's crazy because when we go there, it's very simple foods. Mm -hmm. And I think because there's a lot of like poverty there. Okay. And so, you know, they, they only have meat. I remember like when I would go, it was like, it was more of like a celebratory thing. Like during the holiday, during that's when we would have like, you know, the lamb mm -hmm. and the meat then. But otherwise it was very like simple finger foods, like, you know, fried vegetables. Um, yeah, a lot of fried foods, fried potatoes, fried eggplants and peppers, um, like tomato based food, like stews and mm -hmm, sauces. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, they always make bread too. They love to make bread. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do they make a flat bread? Um, it's like they do have flat bread and there's also like this thicker one too. I don't know the mm -hmm. name of it though. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So then let's talk about hip hop real quick. Okay. Okay. Are you, would you consider yourself hip hop? I think I would. Okay. Thank you. And I say that because I immerse <laughs> myself I immerse myself so much into hip hop culture. Right. I'm always, you know, trying to come to whatever's going on out in the city. You like, do. Yeah. And I love it. Like, I just have so much fun. Um, for New Year's Eve, actually, I went to this like, oh, yeah, I sent it to you. Yeah. It was like this hip hop New Year's Eve party. Yeah. Where we just had like an open mic and, you know, just like monkey chill bars. vibes. That was yeah. monkey bars. Mm -hmm. And then recently I went to this uh, dance battle in Southwest. At, was, that? was it, it was, at um, it was Motor so City fun. Dance, Motor City Street Dance Academy? Yeah, yep. Mav and them? It was really fun. I only know these because those both started at my gallery. Okay. Hey, <laughs> that's awesome. In the house. That's awesome. That's so Y'all had dance battles too? We, yeah. We had, we, had all, we had the original B-Boy battles, B-Girl battles. We had, we had an original graffiti safe space where we had like gang truces because mm -hmm. they would be, it was a, you know, peace zone. So they would work on like each gang would go up and that was like untouchable for like a month. So it was like a mm. gallery, you know what I'm saying? So that when they, they know when they come in that space, mm. like this is a peace zone. That's so amazing. that's what we were doing there. So, Oh, I missed the gallery, but I'm glad that Mav and them are continuing. Yeah. And I'm glad that, um, monkey bars is continuing. Yeah. That is yeah. good energy. That and they'll both be at Dilla youth day. Yeah, shout out to Mav. is going to hold down the um, B-Boy space. I'm going to bring my poetry club to that. Yeah. For sure. So, 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 so Mav always holds down the B-Boy space. So, okay. it's going to be Open Cypher. Okay. And then um, Monkey Bars, 
they they'll hold down the healthy hip hop cipher. I'm so okay for for rhyming. And yeah. I was gonna say, even like even just being a poet, you know, I feel like poetry is very intertwined oh, yes. and heavily part of like hip hop culture you too. You don't say. You know, you have that knowledge. Don't get a- <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like that knowledge <laughs> aspect, the fifth element. My goodness, um, what were you saying? <laughs> oh, there we go. She's okay, wearing so, it on her shirt. So That's be, why she's saying. Be, that. Who is your favorite female hip hop artist? Woman. <sighs> Woman. We gonna get that word female out your mouth. My like female. <laughs> no. It's like a lab rat, oh God. like Woman. a male and a female. <laughs> I see, no, I get what you're saying. Um, hmm. <laughs> Look at Brittany, she gonna get me. Oh it's hard to say. Um, hmm. You know, we were just earlier talking, you and me, about No Name. Ooh, and I, I think she love her. Shout out Chicago. Yes, she's, she's a dope Chicago. rapper. She's dope. I yes. love her style. Me too. And it's, it's very. But when is she coming? When is she coming? She, she just came, came recently. Did she? Oh, she she came. Piper, okay. Her singers were amazing, but um, I think No Name is very has a lot of poetry in her vibe. She does. Mm-hmm. She does. And she blends it well to the point you were just making. I'm flipping through my music right now, but I was also telling you like I'm just a huge fan of Kendrick. Mm. Honestly, I think he's the one that probably really put me more into like hip hop music. Mm. I think he was my introduction way back. I think that is a fair statement because he also has a lot of great poetry. He does. His music. Oh, yeah. He's a great storyteller. Isn't he? My mm-hmm. favorite album of all time. I can listen to it every day is Good Kid, Mad City. It's a great album. Yeah. yeah that's a classic. Yeah. He tells a story, a great story. In every track. Is, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're so hip hop. I love it. We're going to bring you back. <laughs> can, I, can I toss you three dope, dope MCs that just happen to be women, though? Okay. That, like, just really quick, man. So star based out of ATL. Yes, S-T-A-H-H-R. star is amazing. A H H R. Yes, this, I'm writing this woman dope, down. Dope, She's dope incredible. MC like dope MC. Been in the cipher with her. She spits off the head like a. She's beast. amazing. She's a monster, man. She's Did you see her spitting monster. in the whip? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my, oh, that's that's the homie. That's, yeah, she dope. Um, Ty Phoenix. Yes, that's from my out friend. Why they got a joint? Um, her and Star got a joint. Um, coming out. Uh, Kill Bill Three. Yeah. The Kill Bill 3 joint, ugly. You got it. Like, I was listening to one of the tracks off it. I was like, this is some ugly face MC. Ty's my <laughs> homie. Like, this, it made me make the, ugh. That's you look at up. y'all. Why y'all say it? Ugh, yeah. do it. Ty's um, a beast. And, um, of course, Rhapsody, y'all all know oh, Rhapsody. Yeah. Love Rhapsody. Rhapsody, a monster, too. We so, brought her here you know. in 2016 for the Women in Hip Hop Conference. Love Rhapsody. And then from repping the shy, Psalm 1. Yes, Psalm one. Show Psalm we brought one her. Love too. We she's, brought her in 2014. We brought Psalm one. She's, she's, she's. And then we took Miss Corona to Chicago to what is the name of that place? They used to do an all woman um, event there. Was it at the point? No, it's not the show. It wasn't Primitary. It's point. it's like it's like some famous place that's there. I'm gonna have to Sub-tease? look it up. The sub. Subterranean. Subtease, yeah. We took so, Miss Corona to the Subterranean. Word. And someone came here. We brought her to the gallery. Yeah, yeah someone from the shy. That's what's up. Okay, you're up on it. See, he's an MC. He knows. I, I know dope MCs, and mm-hmm. those are dope MCs. Oh, those, I put all those awesome. MCs bars against any other MC. In they're the world. all awesome. All awesome. So yeah, they, yeah. So I just want to and throw and that I out know there. all of them. They're all like amazing people too. Yeah, they they those are spitters. Those are spitters. Spit. They're the hot fire like. Pew, can't retain themselves when they get in front of a microphone. Word. But yeah, I also got to give praise to Queen Latifah and hey. Lauren Hill. 
So if I give y'all three names, yeah. okay. okay, you got to pick. All right. Pick so, one. Let's do this. You got to pick one of these names. What, what are we be, picking It could be for? for any reason. For any reason. Okay. Okay. Lil' Kim, Nicki Minaj, or Cardi B? Cardi Ooh. B. I'm Cardi B. I'm sorry. I'm Nicki. The bars. I'm Cardi okay. B. Bars. What about you? I want to go Cardi right now, wow. but I'm feeling my Latinx parts of me. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go so Cardi? Cardi right now. I mean, I would go with Lil' Kim. Yeah. yeah. She's just a mean rapper. She is. She is. And that's, I mean, that's where Nikki gets it from. She does. Definitely. You know, that, oh, Kim's a killer. She gets it. Yeah. Her Kim vibe, her style, everything. I just know it was big. It was her persona. influence. And Nikki mm-hmm. swears Well, if we're just talking about. Now, if we're talking about spitting, it has to be Nikki. Nikki's the best spitter. She got the best bars and she spits the best. I'm sorry. I'm from the Kim era. I photographed her. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, 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 I'm going to be in big trouble because that's my <laughs> my peoples and my era. And she may never talk to me again. But um, I just got to go with the music. And Nikki got a lot of good music. She's she just spit, great. spit, spit. I just hate her content. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate say, I Nikki has said switched, some I hate her content. If she switched her content, it would be no question. Oh my goodness. But, and, but cadence she could inspire. And flow. She has I think good give her time. Cadence and I think flow. cadence and flow. Her cadence and flow is good. And she's but her witty. Bars, man. She's witty. I think in Monster. like 10, 10 years. She can be, but she could also say uh, Laura Bencroft. Yeah. Which no one oh, knows yeah. what that means. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I could cite bars on bars on bars. Chung Lee is, yeah, Chung Lee is tough. Right? No, she, I mean, mm-hmm. she can, hey, look. She's I amazing. Nothing away from but her. I, she but the reason I chose the whole, Cardi. The whole concept of Chung Lee alone is tough. But the reason I chose Cardi was based off of Cardi as a person. I love Word. Cardi. Not an MC. Shout out Cardi. I, like, I had to go Cardi, too. Okay. I like Cardi. I like, love Cardi. She's so real. You see her and you like, let me just be myself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She 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 gives you permission to be yourself. Funny. I love it. And I love it. She's just like her, her, her. And she pushes the envelope. You know what I'm saying? And then she just goes there. So I like, but her music sucks. She's a terrible she rapper. Has, like you said, she has a good team. She has a <laughs> yeah, good she's team. A, she's she has a good team that knows how to put out Billboard. They knew what True. they were yeah. doing with that They know album. how to make songs They knew that. that they hit. knew. Exactly. Very radio. Yeah. And so yeah. I think it conf- confuses the consumer to make them think that because she's being played, all her songs are being played that she's she's amazing. She is amazing, but it's just I don't like her flow and the way she rap. Like I just can't do her music, but I could it's what fun. I usually do with Cardi B, I put her on and look at her. And then <laughs> oh, you set the visuals. Yeah. yeah. No, the other thing I like to do is listen to her, just talk. Mm-hmm. She needs a talk she's show. She's very entertaining. She's very entertaining. Yes. I love her. I love her. I love her talking. I agree. Just incredible. You had to pick them three. Those are problematic. Three. Yeah. You, was, you was about to go with Lauren. Yeah, I got yelled at for like in like 2015 because I said Cardi B is going to be dope and I like her. And I got and yelled then people got, down. The, the MCs probably were like, ah. she's a genius for the photo boat. People were like, Joe, I'm not dealing with you. Yeah, she she for bodied flipping. Kodak's style. Yeah, she yeah. killed it. She bodied his style and killed gave him a co writing credit for oh it, my too. God. How which was super dope. But like, yeah, yeah, she bodied that style. And that's that's the other thing, too. Like, Performance got to come down to it, man. Drake ain't the best writer in the world, but he damn sure performs some good songs sometimes. So yeah. you got to give him a little bit of credit for just the performance. Performance is part of it, man. If you can't say the bars right, you end up sounding like Quentin Miller on the track. Oh, he's another one that's gonna be in big trouble. Drake, did you see that? What? I'm not. No. I think I think that this is the opportunity. Talking to young girls. Oh uh, yeah, I think after I saw the Millie Brown 
texting thing. Mm-hmm. I, I hope this. I hope this. And him, yeah, that was extra thirsty. Up. That that whole thing was extra. And thirsty, filling the man. girl up after cool she that. said she was seventeen. And it was the other chick. <laughs> oh. what, what was the girl he was dating? That was um the model. Yeah, yeah. The little model girl that he was yeah. talking about some get at me. And then like he was he was spitting darts at her on on record. And then you know when she got legal a year and a half later, he was up under it. Wow. I, I, I mean, I'm gonna keep going back into this, but I've heard things that have addressed like people trying to like go into these deep conversations of a man's mind when it comes to wanting a younger woman and how he can mold her into his true oh, his woman. And it's like you can. Meet a woman that is your age that can think like minded to you and enjoy it just as much. Back to the point you were making. Still sharpen, still sharpen, still. A right. good man is going to want a good woman to have his back. Okay, so you have to go back to the beginning of that sentence. A good man. And, yeah, not a damaged man. Because <laughs> a damaged man will take what I'm he can saying, get. I'm just saying, to break that down, that's just crazy. Crazy. But everyone needs to see that film, Lolita. If y'all never saw the film Lolita, Mm-mm. spoiler alert, he quote unquote groomed her from the time she was a child. And then he tried to take her on the road to get away from people. And then he tried to, you know, marry her. She left him, got with a guy her own age, was pregnant. And then he found her, he tracked her down. And then. He found her married to this dude and all that. And he was like, what about us? And she let him have it. She was like, you took my childhood. You took my life. Look what you did to me. Blah, blah, blah. It was really tragic. You but that was called Lolita? Yes. Okay. Got st- Everyone needs to see Lolita. You need to see that film. But anyway, let's get back to your beautiful poetry. And okay. uh, and what you're what you're doing in the world? So, what are you doing in this world in 2019? Coming up, mm-hmm. man, I got big visions. You Ooh. know, I already felt like, you know, alhamdulillah, thank God, I felt like 2018 was a blessing for me. You know, the year I, um, you know, finished Teach for America, I was certified. Um, oh, congratulations! Thank you. <laughs> that's our um, that's our sound effects. Yeah, and then <laughs> I uh, got a award from Enjoy Detroit, the Serve Award. Right, congratulations! So that was a congratulations. Thank you. Shouts out to Enjoy Detroit. Yes, they're awesome people. They're, they're always dope. supporting me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also helped me host my book release party. So you know, I also published my book. Um, and then I started my master's degree. So it's just been you know, you know a great hey. year. But I really want to take it, you know, even to the next step this year, um, especially with my poetry and my book. You know, just being here on the podcast for me, that's huge. Oh, it's we huge. Love having like, you. I always listen. So it's just like, you know, I always dream. I was like, man, I want to be on the podcast. I yeah. need to. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and now here I am. This is um, so cool. And then even uh, working on making some poetry videos. Okay, so, that's what's up. Yeah, so kind of like a music video, but it's going to be a poetry video. That's dope. So I'm yeah. really excited about that. That's exciting. Um, and then like I said, the launch of this all-woman uh, poetry collective. Mm. And as a matter of fact, we're the only all-woman poetry collective in Michigan. Oh, okay. So okay. we're really about to make big moves. Um, and with that, we're also kind of uh, creating this um, this show for uh, Women's Month in March. Mm. where people can book us and we're going to have this whole show set together where we do this whole show where it's like different poems and a whole story, uh, you know, based on topics that relate to women. 
Um, so if your university or organization or museum is looking for an all-woman cast to do a show, you can book us. What's the length of the show? Um, it'll be about 45 minutes to an hour. About 45 minutes to an hour? Mm-hmm. Okay. And okay. it's all poetry interweaved into a, like storytelling mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. acting. Okay. Um, so you can reach us, wisdompoets at gmail.com. How are you spelling that? W, like how it is, how it's spelled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is cool. You guys, yeah. are you on, is it, is that entity on Instagram? Yes, we're also at Wisdom Poets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's the same on all sites. Okay. Yeah. This is so fresh. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's exciting. Yeah, I'm very just honored and blessed and, you know, excited to just keep going and collaborating with artists and meeting people. And you're so uh, evolved. You know, Thank I love you. that. You have such an evolved spirit. Thank you. You know what I mean? Especially <laughs> for such a, a young person. Well, you're young to me. Like, you could be my daughter. So yeah. it's like, it's like uh, and it, you know, seeing like a young person, you know, just be able to um, be so in touch with themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's really beautiful. So Thank that's you. I appreciate up. that. Yeah, I yeah. try to be reflective. That's yeah. what's up. Okay. Especially through my writing and having conversations with people. Mm-hmm. I've been way more like reflective in terms of just appreciating conversations with people more. I love that. Because before I used to just be so to myself. Mm. I used to love just staying at home. And I would actually, I think I was actually like pretty socially anxious to Mm. like be around people and try to talk to people. Yeah. Until I realized, you know, doing poetry and having this book has pushed me way more out of my comfort zone and has forced me to consistently talk with people and meet new people and, and network and just feeling just more comfortable. This is know, up. Socially. This yeah. is dope. Okay. We got to get you on the mixtape. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what's, what's coming up with you, Mr. Andrew? 2019. Oh, man. Um, you know, I've been working a lot with trying to get um, more diversity into uh, this world of advertising. Mm. Um. You know, and that's that's something that I'm I'm kind of passionate about. You know, the the convergence of that and hip hop is one thing. Um, you know, and I think the talents and skills that we have now that a lot of youth have would be valuable to um, changing this paradigm of propaganda that advertising pushes out. Because that's mm, all it is. Mm. It's the same thing that Goebbels was doing for Nazi Germany, except we're doing it for brands now. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's if I'm changing people's hearts and minds, I need people who look like me, people who are, are brown, people who speak Spanish, people who look like you, my sister, and do all this, you know, to be able to change this this predominantly um white paradigm that is driving what advertising has been for mm-hmm, so long. Mm-hmm. And um, it could also, in effect, help shift the consumerism and capitalism and the ideas that it represents if mm. you have the right people thinking outside the box differently and then bringing different brands to the table. So, you know, I'm constantly going to be helping bring the next generation of youth in, tell them that they have those skills now, you know, give them the language to, like I always talk to you about, you know, and like we were talking about earlier, like people want experiential 
marketing yeah. and advertising activations. Like if I give you the language to tell you you make dope events, but this is how you tell it to a brand. Right. And I give you the way to make it viable and feasible for them. If I if I tell you that you curate social media content right now and you're getting over 10,000 views on random pictures that you're putting out there or random posts that you're putting out and the average brand is struggling to get like 15 or 16 organic interactions, mm -hmm. then you could be a social media manager. Mm -hmm. You could literally walk out of college and get that internship right away. You could be in college, have that internship, walk out. You could be in high school and walk into some of these tech companies and change the world. I want like you that to young man that word that I sent you. Who was working on all the apps and then <clears throat> turns out he ends up coding half of the stuff for Uber and all of that. Right. right. But we can do that Shout now. Shout out to him. So Major. That's that's what I'm trying to do like this year more so than anything else is how can I get back in the community, empower the youth for the next generation to be able to put on and do dope things. On the side, other than that, you know, still supporting um, my brother and them in the hip-hop thing right now. You know, I still spit when I get uh, my opportunities. Um, but um, You're going to have an shout opportunity. Out to, shout out to Primo Jab. <laughs> Should um, I drop the beat piper right you now? You know, Primo Jab is dope. That's my brother and them. They make real dope music. Um, okay. And it does have a message. You know, sometimes it can come across a little gritty, but they are actually talking about things that are addressing society and culture okay. and real stuff too. So, you know, um, word to that. Um, I got so, a question for you. Shouts out to them. What are your thoughts on the way that McDonald's tries to... They have sub-compartments for advertising, don't they? That is one of my clients. Okay. What are your um, thoughts? Well, so, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that that I've worked with that brand. Um, so full disclosure, I'm very first, close to that the, brand. I'm sorry. They, I think they were like one of the first few brands. To advertise to African Americans mm -hmm. as a lead, but so was Coca-Cola too. Um, mm. um, the, and part of that came from Chicago also with mm. um, Burrell. Burrell Advertising was one of the first black-owned advertising shops mm -hmm. that said what they wanted to do was present African-Americans in a realistic and positive light. Mm. And that was what Tom Burrell brought to the table. He's an advertising legend and that, you know, great, intelligent black man. Much respect to him. Um, my pop started Shouts working out at to his him. advertising agency. Mm. So, you know, and then so it kind of became a family thing for us, I guess, too, mm -hmm, along mm -hmm. the way. But... Um, you know, he was the person who pioneered the first rounds of those advertising messages that McDonald's was putting out to try to put black people in a human light. And that didn't really exist before in the 60, late 60s going into mm. the 70s. So while there have been some ideals that I feel, um, you know, when people say they target the African-American community with bad food or anything like that, that's a different discussion for a different day, I think. <laughs> um you know, the idea of the food desert is a real thing. Yeah. And the idea of this lack of nutrition and how people choose to um, mm. engage their relationship with food. Yeah. Um, especially sugars and salts and, and all kinds of other craziness mm -hmm. is a whole different oh, yeah. kind of monster. Yeah. And I think to tackle that, um, to be fair, I don't think that when McDonald's speaks to African-Americans, it's to target them with negative food. Per se, I do think that there is some part of that that comes from a genuine understanding that black people represent a huge um, economic boom for them. Mm -hmm. They understand the one point two trillion dollars that we that we represent as a community yeah. more so than a lot of other brands. Nike understood it. That's why they did what they did with the Kaepernick thing. Right. You know, Coca Cola understood it. That's why they lead with Sprite and LeBron and Drake and use. 
black people to model that. So mm-hmm. um, we are also one of the most liquid, um, wow. liquid spending um, ethnic minorities mm-hmm. um, in this country. Um, we put more money in rotation yeah. than basically most other ethnic groups not within our own communities always either but people have recognized that and they use us as the driving force to then create the demand for the general market as well right, right. so i know if i can get hip-hop behind it if i can get african-americans behind it and move then the general market tends to follow suit in certain aspirational products mm-hmm. so that's why beats by dre aspirational i look cool i'm dope i got that so i jordans that's why all of those brands have led with african americans and then have been able to dictate culture afterwards so we are a powerful representation of that and Mm -hmm. i think brands get that mcdonald's and some more so than anything else and i don't want it to come across as i ain't ain't caping for them man at all (laughs) i ain't caping for no brands well you're explaining advertising psychology to us i think the way that they go about it is is smart when one out of every four dollars that comes into your business comes out of african-americans they're a quarter of your earnings right if you're not talking to them and you're not figuring out a way to do it smart Mm -hmm. then you're doing a disservice to yourself so and that wasn't a trap question That's, because no, no, the no, no, McDonald's line is just as long in Birmingham as it is on. Oh A-Mile. yeah, everywhere. Everybody right? eats McDonald's. Facts. That's why they went and got the whole vegan line of food. Yeah, that's coming no. slower than it should. <laughs> no, I, I majored in advertising. I thought I was going to be a copywriter, and I love I love the idea here. And there's a couple black. She thought she was going to be a copywriter, but she is not on social media. She's the only millennial not what? on social media. What? It's just because of that's part of me. <laughs> it makes my world well, go. I've you should have. To limit my you should create so a you. Piper Carter podcast. I am. Instagram. I am. Okay, so there I'm you doing go. that, and I'm also go. have. I've already created it for women in hip hop. It's I'm on there now. Okay, okay. Okay. So I just did that Sunday. So this is the thing, right? I'm more social media like a millennial, or like those little babies. And she's more like my generation, like Generation X. She's like, she don't want to have nothing to do with no social media. It's a stress for her. So are well, you the no, one? no, 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 no. For me, I love okay, it. Okay, so. Do you control the uh, We Found Women uh-huh, in Hip Hop uh-huh, account? Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, I, I love that account. Oh, thanks. Uh, Folks lo- should follow that. I control all those. What's the username? Uh, we Found Hip Hop. Yes, please check it out. It's dope. Oh, you get thanks. great information on the work that women are doing yeah. in hip hop and in the community. But but this one I here, I want to clarify. She, so. She's great though. I'm not taking nothing away from you. She's amazing. She makes this show. She's the producer. No no no. She I makes just want to clarify because I going back to a statement on technology. <clears throat> Social media gets a lot of flack, and mm-hmm. because I'm not on there, it would seem like I was on. I would be. On the left side of that, like, oh, social media is bad. It has, look at what it's doing to our society. I actually think social media has created so many comedians and all of us. I think that it has bridged us together. The six degrees of separation theory, I think, should sh- is, is an interesting theory in the society. I'll just say that. And I think social media is powerful, especially the way that Piper uses it. Um, but it's just not for me. It's, it's, it's just... I live a great life without it, and I think I represent... Mm-hmm. I, the reason why I asked you about the word evolve because I find the word interesting right now because I think we, as a society, just think that when there's something new that comes, we, we are to throw everything 
throw everything else before it out. If you got a DVD player, throw your VHS player out. It's not needed anymore. Mm. And I feel like just because we have the idea of social media doesn't mean that I have to use it. Right. That doesn't mean that I'm more, I'm, I'm less evolved than the next person. No. That's all. That's all. No, I have a few friends tease, who also choose... I just choose, like to tease her about it. Yeah, I have a few, <laughs> few friends who Passionate consciously though. choose not to have it just because they feel like it's just not for them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Brittany, she don't. She do not like social media. It's, yeah. it's I like so it. funny. I do like... You be sending me stuff. I send her so much. So she's like, I am not on this platform. <laughs> I do like <laughs> But the reason... I, I think I love the thought of advertisement and what it represents. I've had like my own theories on it based off me majoring in it but I love advertising I really do the idea of advertising is really simple people make it complicated they give Mm. a bunch of crazy theories and everything Mm. like that right it's how do you change the hearts and the minds of people to create Mm -hmm. a behavior that you want I like that you just I want people to do this how do I make it happen yeah that's advertising well listen we okay coming up 2019 uh I think we got to also talk about that census stuff. Oh, yes. We want to do some census education because that's going to be interesting. It only made me think about the advertising, but mm. it made me think about like we need to advertise voting. I want to I want to meet I want to I want somebody to introduce me to Delicious because I want to give her my idea of um I want her I want to get her and maybe someone else, maybe Cash Doll or something to <laughs> organize organize hey. the strippers, you know? And then I have this idea to do like with the twerking with like the vote, like right there where it like it twerks. You know what, Piper? Like That's on Instagram. Funny. And yeah, like, uh, That's funny. you don't think so? That's or creative. like, this? No, or like oh with God. the clap, like vote, vote, vote. <laughs> vote cheeks. And, uh, and oh. nah, I mean, I'm just, I'm being joking, but also I was thinking like this whole campaign about get your ass to the poll and then have someone like on the poll. Like, you know, like, wow. and then it's wow. like, but I don't know. I just had this thing because I'm just thinking like, that, but I feel like in our communities, right? These are people that we like look down on. These are people that we are, for, that are forgotten. Mm-hmm. And, but they represent um, a part of our, a segment of our community with a certain economic, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to say freedom, but they, 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 they have a certain um, income, you know what I'm saying? And they're able to contribute to communities so the more i feel like the more that we engage everyone in our community especially you know these are people who are mothers and you spoke to the mother earlier these are people who are taking care of households and things Mm -hmm. these are people we need in the game we need these people voting and i feel like this time we did a really good job going door to door um they said that like where i live district seven had the highest turnout ever which makes me feel really good because that's where our whole team canvassed, you know, District 7. So to hear that it was the highest turnout ever and know that we had, like, hood folks in the street knocking on doors means that, like, we had an impact. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So all the stuff that's about to come, like, down the pipe, like, see how they shut down the government? Right. And all the people that's mostly impacted is black women because mm-hmm. a lot of black women work for the federal government. These who has these jobs. So a lot of these workers right now, they're working with no pay or they're working on furlough. We're talking about cops. We're talking about like people who need to be getting paid. Think about the black community. We're already stressed with cops. And think about cops that's out there not getting paid right now because 
Trump wants to build this wall. Think of all, we talk about, like, you talked about immigration earlier. Mm-hmm. I remember in the 80s when they moved the um, labor to overseas. Now, these big conglomerate corporation auto companies are the ones that moved the labor to overseas. But here in Detroit, what it looked like was people were hating Mexicans because they were like, oh, Mexicans are taking our jobs. Do you think that the dumbest. Mexicans controlled? Do you understand what I'm saying? So Do you dumb. think that like Mexican workers like controlled like where those like how those jobs ended up in Mexico? Exactly. Nobody the the people were not lined up. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Outside of the places where they needed to be to like speak to that, right? So they were like people who were here who just happened to be Mexican were catching it. That was going to work. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, I'm saying that to say <clears throat> that he's blaming this wall on, oh, we have to build this wall. Already, it's like from just people in general, black people, white people, all types of people, quote unquote, like blaming immigrants for like the lack of jobs, for the lack of opportunities. I've heard this type of rhetoric. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure you guys have heard this rhetoric. That stuff's only going to get more worse with this government shutdown because it means that it's going to be even more strained. But the way I look at it is like, okay, all these people are struggling right now. They don't have a job. That means their bill's not getting paid. That means that they loans, they all their debt is like piling up on top of them, right? So that's like stress and stress and stress. When it's time for them to go back, are they going to pay all those people that bag money or are they going to start doing some creative accounting? You understand what I'm saying? You ever go, you ever like work a job? Cause I've done it. You ever work a job and then you have to fight to prove, you know what I'm saying? That they owe you the money that, that you, mm-hmm. that you work for. Can you imagine like hundreds of thousands of people are like not working right now because this government is shut down. It's like, that's how we're entering into 2018 My opinion, I think they're going to try to remove some of these black people from some of these jobs because they know that that's been like a cushy thing that black people have been able to do is like, I will get me a government job. Right. Right. And they're building these private prisons. Like I said, that's where the work them jobs are going to be in the prisons. They got a lot of money for these prisons and they're going to build this wall. So for me, moving into 2019, I'm like, while we still have some semblance of democracy, like, I want to mobilize as many people as possible to, like, impact that democracy. And that 2020 census is going to be very freaking important. Very freaking important. Just like you said, information and data is, like, the most important thing right now. Agreed. The most important thing right now. That's how they're going to make be making decisions for, like, everything. So, for me, I'm like, okay, we got to get on this early. We got to get on this now. We can't wait till 2020 to start being like y'all need to vote y'all need to vote like right now we need to be in communities talking about the um child support because the republicans are targeting black men because uh they got like what is it called prison reform and this child support reform stuff so we need to be educating people about what real child support reform is going to look like which is not what the republicans are proposing and we need to be educating people about what real prison reform looks like, which is not that bill, that first step bill that's currently up there right now. 
and we need to be like touching folks like in the hood you know what i'm saying like one-on-one like having conversations with folks like not show up in 2020 like with paperwork and ballots and like buttons and t-shirts and stuff like right now we need to be having just like these conversations we're going to start having about the sexual assault awareness stuff we got to have these conversations about all these things that's going to impact people but the census the census what mark my words the census is going to be nobody's talking about it right now but that they've they're changed it they're gonna you're gonna be allowed to do it online and the other thing that's gonna be interesting we talked about like you were talking about your identity earlier about how you identify as a north african i was just gonna ask are they adding more categories so remember people was coming here checking white if they was that african was they was checking that was white fought for by the middle eastern community at a point to be able to check to white check white occasion right. well now it, the new census thing i saw it they have you're gonna have to choose like what you are however if i understand internalized white supremacy the way it works if if i can mm-hmm. choose on my phone <laughs> and i'm in i have a certain level of internalized white supremacy you understand what i'm saying like how is that gonna work yep. how how do we start helping people can com- how do we help to convince people to vote like for themselves. Well, how many not Latinx people are still circling white? You know, and that's yes. that's part of something that goes on with that community as well. Yeah. There's a lot of communities that exist without I mean, this is one of the biggest points that I always tell people to never forget is that Latinx doesn't exist without white supremacy. Bro. It doesn't. People Spanish in my doesn't family exist without white supremacy. We're passing up until the eighties. And so that's, I mean, I mean, that's a conversation. The black too. community is gonna be checking white. <laughs> if they could, if they some could, would. some if have, they could, some have, some and have. some will. So I'm just, but the thing is, is yeah. that moving forward, see how they're trying to quote unquote the Republicans. Their vision is to like reduce government, right? And what that means is they want to have like no regulations. They don't want any government to like support. People, like, for real, they want to just use, they want to force people to pay taxes and then use the tax money to do whatever it is that they want to do. While we still have the ability to have some sort of impact on our democracy, like, to me, it's emergency right now, incumbent, that we got to get more people like, okay, we need y'all, y'all woke? Okay, good. (laughs) We know y'all was woke for these last couple of years. Like, now we need y'all alert. We need you, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, not just woke. But get that crust out your eye and let's go. You need to drink some coffee and eat some fruit and do your little exercise because we got a long race ahead of us. And it's a lot of heavy lifting like right now. And, but I, I do believe with these, you know, black women that we see that got into these, you know, different levels right within the house recently. I think that and, and, and within various levels of, you know, government I feel that um, Maxine Waters is going to give it to him. You know what I'm saying? Maxine Waters is going to really be on Trump. He's going to be really super stressed because Maxine Waters is like, yeah, we need to like investigate what's going on with your financials. Like, let's see what's up with that. So he's like, I'm going to shut down the government because <laughs> I want to build my wall. I need money to build my wall. But Meanwhile, Mexico was supposed to be paying for that. 
in your whole campaign, that was your campaign promise, that Mexico was going to pay for the wall. So now what we doing, we getting um, an expense report from Mexico. And you're taking money from American citizens that could be investing back into the economy, right, all around, hundreds of thousands of people. But mark my words, the main people that are suffering right now from this government shutdown, black women. Black women, black women. It's an attack on black women. Those are the people who are not working. The, the majority is the people that's not working right now. Will they have a job when they get back? Will they be paid the money that they're owed? Mm-hmm. Will they be forgiven of all those debts? Or will they have to be met with a whole bunch of debt? It's just interesting right Especially now. if you're a single-income household. It's just- Especially a single-income household, which a lot of black women are. Man, we, we listen... This R. Kelly thing got me, um, what does Star say? I'm charged. I'm charged. <laughs> you know, I would love to uh, bring this whole conversation full circle. We got back to the beginning of our topic of violence against women mm. and talk about like self-care in a racist society, yes. you know, with men too. Like how do we, how do we take care of ourselves? How do we heal in these challenging moments? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. You're on the tour. You're on the healing tour. You're yeah. on the, the sexual assault awareness healing tour. <laughs> you know, and voting. And I even mentioned that earlier, like one And just way. registering for the census, people of color. <laughs> I know, don't be scared. They ain't going to bomb you just because you put that on there. Right. Hopefully it's St. Tulsa again. Right. But right. yeah, like at least sign up so you know your district. Those numbers, when we talk about advertising, yeah. you know how many advertisers use census numbers just to determine where things are going, how many media companies use census numbers to allocate resources. Everything is kind of contingent on that. On so this, please, the census, right? please, please, just register. I don't Let people know it's black people there. Yeah. It's people of color there. Please yeah. do. And what were you saying, Mama? Yeah, I was just thinking like... I kind of mentioned it earlier, like one way is we don't always have to read the news. This Sometimes is true. We, we feel so obligated because then we're like, ah, oh, I won't know what's going on. I'm ignorant, uneducated, but like, it's okay to take a break. Oh yeah, for Girl, sure. And to step been, back. There have been days to the point that you're making that is so powerful. There have been days where I'm like, I'm going to go a couple weeks without going back on. CNN oh, I've done or that. Whatever. I've done and that. Then get, and I told myself, okay, I'm about to go back on and I guarantee you what? The same thing mm-hmm. that was on there before I left is going to be the same thing. Yeah. Sure enough, go on a website, same thing. But it goes same back thing. to his advertising point, right? The news is also like a media source, so they're also like programming you. That's why it's called programming. Mm. Right. You know, so it is a programming tool. So it the more media savvy that you become, the more you'll be able to understand like messaging and you'll be able to see in the news <clears throat> the same messaging that you see in advertising. It's the, it goes back to what yep. you were talking about, like language, images the way things mm-hmm. are presented so the more that you can like break that kind of stuff down then you can see it coming like mm-hmm. look i oh, want you to okay, think and behave a certain a way a certain way that's why fox news talks the way they talk to conservatives that's right. why cnn and msnbc mm-hmm. talk the way that they talk and they have disparate talking points right we want you to think and behave this way that's right. it so whatever I can do to elicit or create that behavior, that'll happen across multi-mediums. Like I said, advertising is the same as propaganda. Yeah. The same thing that they're dropping when they were dropping black men go home in yeah. Vietnam. Yeah. This ain't your war. Yeah. That's the same thing that McDonald's is doing when they're trying to get you to buy a burger. Yeah. It's the same thing. We're or the vegan burger. burger. 
that's hey, another uh, thing. White is, Castle's vegan burger is kind of fire, though. Oh, <laughs> so, the White Castle is on no the trip. vegan I don't know anything about that burger. <laughs> Shout out to yeah. White Castle's vegan, vegan burger. Is okay. Possible. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. It didn't mess with my... I got a vegan burger. But speaking so, of vegan... <laughs> trust me a little it's bit. It's crazy because the past, like few weeks and few days like I've just been hearing so many positive benefits and I know you talk about it too of just like being vegan yeah yeah the other day I was in uh, jury duty and this woman was talking about how her son has lupus and mm. like he was able to like recover and heal just wow. by having a vegan diet and that's all he needed yeah and you know this- they say that your stomach is like your second brain yeah and um I mean because I've been off meat since nine. 19- and your skin looks amazing. Thank you, darling. Let it me really see. What does. is it? 1990. 1990. Wow. Uh, 29 years now. Wow. That's crazy. That been off. But, well, I got to be honest. The first t- two to three years, I was a French fryitarian until I learned about <laughs> a nutrition. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, but yeah. So thank you very much. Mm-hmm. But. This year I did. I started January first. I started my like raw. raw so I'm, I'm like a hunt. I'm like on raw right now. Oh, shouts out to Lottie right quick. I'm let me do a little commercial. I can't see. I need some glasses. But um, Lottie, what does this say? <laughs> Shout out Lottie. We love you, Lottie. It says elderberry. <laughs> okay. Uh, <coughs> Somebody else might Somebody need some glasses passed. out yeah. here too, huh? It's kind of tiny, but it's all. Remember, Lottie came on and gave me that? Mm. So, this is Elderberry Support Elixir. Yeah, Lottie made that. Detroit Elixir and Salve Co. She made that from her backyard, yo. Oh, wow. And it's from herbs and stuff from her backyard. It's been helping me with my cough. Okay. I've had this I've had this cough for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, their yeah. email is earthseeddetroit, all one word, at gmail.com. Yes, that's her company, Earthseed, after Octavia Butler, right? Mercy, this stuff is like incredible. Thank you, Lottie. She's coming on here the twenty second. Miss you, Lottie. Again. Can't wait to see you. Yeah. You yeah. left it up to the advertiser to read the advertising, huh? Thank you. Thank you <laughs> that for that. That was perfect. <laughs> okay, so any okay, I guess those were last words. We could give some more now, but we could keep going. This is a good group. Yeah, this was a good This group. needs to be like we need Bernie, to we need make you? another podcast. How do you self care and take care of yourself? What do you do? She goes on social media secretly. (laughs) (laughs) Plot plot twist. That is the plot twist. Oh, that's a great question. How do I... What do you enjoy doing? Maybe like on your Sunday. So, uh, it was basketball, playing ball, and coaching. So, I tore my Achilles in May. So, a lot of writing. Okay. A lot of writing. What type of writing? Rap. All right. All right. Nice. Right now, I'm in a transition point, but I'd say right now, it's it's, it's been writing since it couldn't be basketball. Hmm. What, what's up with your Achilles? When are you going to uh, be able to be back on the court? They say March, but I'm going to start running in March and then get back on the court in June just to be be safe. Where are you going to go run and where are you going to play? Uh, Wayne State has a very cheap gym membership. Um, That's where I'm at right now. Like mm-hmm. kind of doing like running and not running, but the elliptical, the stairmaster, mm-hmm. stuff like that, the bike. And then I I live close to the Riverwalk. That's those three miles are the best three miles. That is the self care. Mm-hmm. Get at the edge of the fisherman dock, the fisherman's dock at the edge of the walk by the bridge. Take it all the way down to Mount Elliott. That's the three mile point. That's self care. 
Mm. That's that's where you can do your thinking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What well, about you? So Self care. First, I have to do one correction. Yeah. I'm not a dope hooper. I have, <laughs> like I can hoop. You know what I'm saying? I got a decent little crossover, but you know, a football was kind of my sport back in the day. I caught a couple extra concussions from that. Man. <laughs> so that's yeah. But it loosened my brain. Let me think differently. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does. It does. So, yeah, but um, now for self-care for me, um, you know, I think valuing my me time is Mm -hmm. is the biggest thing Mm. for me. Um, I'm very social by nature, but Mm. I like to be by myself. Yeah. Um, And I zone out, man. Like I I meditate for a little bit. I listen to podcasts. Um, Sometimes I just do like a little quick workout, do pull-ups and push-ups and just a lot of body resistance. I freestyle by myself like an nice. insane person with no beat, no nothing. Just I love it. Just zone out. Um, sometimes music's on and I just kind of like free dance and hey. do whatever and just let the energy take me where it is. Music's a big part of how mm. I do self-care. But yeah. I mean, like that freestyle aspect to me also has just always been like just spitting off the dome and mm. just... Just kind of going. Um, oh my god, I it love helps. it. So, <laughs> you know, and but all these happen by myself, and I always have this weird thing that I say, and it's to me that if you know, if I, if when we die for some reason you really can watch your whole life in reverse, mm. I want like every dope rapper who ever died to sit there with me and critique my freestyle sessions wow. <laughs> and be like, John, want I need Pac here, I need mm. Biggie here, I need Big L here, I need y'all all to sit down and like, yo, we gonna watch this. That was good bars. Rewind that. Wow. There wasn't nobody else there, but I did this for y'all, so I hope y'all wow. been watching this whole time. Um, and that's what I rhyme to in my head. So I'm like, man, even when nobody's watching, the greats are watching. Wow. That's amazing. That's a great way to think. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. So that's my weird self-relaxation by myself. That is not weird. <laughs> that is so perfect. I love to take long showers. Hey. That feels so good to me. Mm-hmm. Just, Just enjoy myself under the water. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. Hot water on my yes. back. Yes. That for me is like the biggest healer. Is it, it like is. When you get out, it just, woman it feels, nuclear hot? Mm. Huh? Is it like woman nuclear hot? You know, y'all like nuclear yeah, hot. Yeah, water. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I do. <laughs> do you like, like it that hot? hot? Do you like it hot, hot? Or? Not like, like, I mean, yeah, I like it hot, but yeah. I don't know what you mean by nuclear hot. He means like, like, you know, like, because a lot of times with like the I put temperature, my like, <laughs> yeah, it's like burned a little bit. Uh-huh. I like my shower hot, but like, I, I, I'm not going to burn myself. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I think but women, women and men can take have more a different pain. tolerance. Yeah, women yeah. can take more pain than dudes. That's absolutely real, man. Y'all, like, it spits like hot acid. Yeah. <laughs> you ever try to share a shower with somebody and it's like, no, you just go. Bro, go my ahead. grandma used to run that bath water <laughs> and throw my ass in that tub. I used to be like, ah! she used to make it so hot. I used to be like, this is not correct, grandma. She used to be like, get your funky ass in that damn tub. <laughs> I used to be in there, but I but but to this day I can take the hot water because of that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's funny. So showers, that's dope. What about you? Oh my, I do so much. That's all. Shoot, let me tell you something. I work for myself, so ninety yes. percent of my time is spent doing self care, mm, awesome. and then the other five percent is spent looking for work, and then the other five percent is spent working. 
<laughs> no, it's just that um, the way my lifestyle is, I've worked for myself my entire life. And so the way I structure my life is like, I sleep when I want to sleep. I mm. schedule gigs around things that I want to do for myself. I like to travel. Um, I like to cook. Like, I like to make food. I like to, you know, do research. And recently, something I really like to do, like, well, you know, I, I work on my, like, website and stuff like that. That's kind of meditative sometimes. Sometimes it's frustrating, but sometimes it's, like, super meditative. And I like to, um, I, yeah, I like to go to the the gym, yoga. I like going around the track, listening to my podcast. Like, I'm a big podcast person, which is the reason I have a podcast. <laughs> I love listening to all my podcasts. And um, and then I like reading. Reading is, like, something I really love doing. But I hate fiction, um, what I love only fiction. Octavia Butler. She's the only one that whose fiction I'll read. You know what book really struck me last year that I read is Homegoing by Yagi Yasi. No, Have you I heard don't of it? it? Oh mm-hmm. man! So yeah, I read a ton it's of books fiction. too, and that's a fiction novel, but it's like realistic fiction. Okay, send it to me. I'll read it just for you. You'll love just it just to discuss it, and with it you. follows this family line starting um, in a region in Africa way back when and then it follows like the lineage where part of it stays there and Mm -hmm. then part of it comes to america so you follow the two lineages and and how that shapes the family and and their stories it's beautiful i just like i like nonfiction because i like people's stories so i like nonfiction. but i gotta like confess that i also like to read manuals because i'm like a techie geek type person I'm a photographer, so I'm very like, like <laughs> so I'm very techy geeky. So I like I like to read manuals, and I like learning about like electricity and stuff like that. So I read a lot about like you know technology and electricity and like space and like you know the sea and like nature because I you know that's my my first first job that I ever wanted to do. I was like four years old and I told my family I wanted to be a research scientist and an astronaut. And they were like, no, you're going to be an artist and a dancer. You're going to be an actress like and a dancer. The exact opposite of right. Yeah. But my whole family are artists. That's what makes it just an interesting perspective that, you know, most people are like, I wanted to be an artist. And my dad told me no. No, they told me no. You're going to be a dancer and an, and an actress. And That's I, amazing. So I always, so kind so of. my nature is like a scientist and, and technology. So photography and all this kind of technology stuff is good for me because I get to enact my creative side and then I get to enact, you know what I'm saying, this technology side. So, um yeah, so I'll be exercising and cooking and doing all that, but I'm but um let me see reading wise. Yeah, I like to I like to read a lot of audiobooks. I know that's not like reading reading, but I No, Audible's the truth, man. Respect. I, I mean, I do so much that when I'm running like around. Book, I got my Audible right now going. Yeah. So, yeah. And I I learned and so much. You can much. go back and be like, "Hold on. I just yeah, love it. and, and it give you that downloadable PDF. Now we're doing like an Audible commercial. They need, we need to get some money out of them. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Look at you. But the, but the other thing is, it's like it saves my eyes. I like to I like to do the audio books because that saves my eyes, and I can get through the books easier because I can like edit video. You know what I'm saying? Which I you know I can edit my videos that I'm doing for clients, or I can do my photoshopping that I do for clients, or I can you know what I'm saying? Actually, like. 
watch another video, which is interesting with, with subtext, <laughs> um, while I'm listening to, you know, another like audio book. So I, I'll often have like multiple forms of media going like all the same time. And I'll have it through like, cause I have the iMac, the big like iMac Then I have like my iPad, but I have the big iPad and then I have like my phone. So I'll completely be here. Do- I'm like, uh, you know, almost like a cyborg. I'll be doing this. And then music, music is another thing. Like you said, like, SoundCloud and YouTube. I love finding new artists and um, finding their like good music. But I love like artists like yourself, artists like yourself. Like to me, the best artist is like live and in person because mm-hmm. I want I want to see like what you could do. Like that whole that spitting off the top. That's my thing. That's my that, that's what the that's what the white girls say. That's my junk. that's funny but i I love it me too and shouts out to crazy al kane i wish he would bring that show back spitting in the whip that's my show where they just they're just because that's what we used to do for our for our open mic and shout out to bryce detroit get another drum circle so i can come in and and do it again off the top of the dome like i we got to we got to get this we got an epic cypher with that man we should do that here we should do that here i want to battle you uh-oh. Okay. Like right now? You out. No, I'm joking. No. Oh, <laughs> I was like, like, whoa. But shout out to Battle Rap. Battle Rap is having oh my a, God, dec- I love a decent, it. a decent, uh, a decent, a decent run. Cassidy is going jumping back in the ring. Jay Mills jumped back in the ring recently. Yeah. Uh, I mean, y'all boy Calico just had yeah, one with, yeah, uh, yeah. with uh, L. Will. That was kind of dope. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, like you got a lot going on right mm-hmm. now. I mean... The battle rap um, nowadays is, is evolved to something since we're going to lose evolution. Mm-hmm. WWE-ish kind of. It's so different than when I was coming up, man. Like, I came up in, like, the Scribble Jam era. Right, things, right, right. You know? So, um, <laughs> you know, I was rapping, like, in the 90s. Shout out to my man, Four Eyes, also. He's down in ATL doing some crazy things. He was a real dope off-the-head spitter, too. Shout out to um, you, Four Eyes. But we used to do some wild stuff back in the day. Um, really, like... It was always and Dres the Beatnik. Shout out to you too for the world yes. famous Mike Club. That's my man. So you know, Dres the he's Beat good Nick. people. Um, and he used to put on this thing called the world famous Mike Club. You know, mm. and it was like you spit there. It had to be off the dome, and they cut the music off on you, and they would put you in what they called Mike Club court. Yep. And they would bring up examples of why, and somebody would be the prosecutor, and they would say, nah, I think that's a written because of this. When you said this line, and you weren't really in, you know, you you thought you were in the pocket, but you were a little off, and nah. So I think that's a written. And they would, like, cut the mic off on you for real and put you to mic club court. So shout to Dres the Beatneck for that, because you couldn't write nothing. You had to come off the dome, and you had to come over a beat. I was rapping on Hot 97 down in Atlanta, battling um, random artists, and I was on the radio, like battling Ti's little artists. And but people isn't like it that. funny, like when they so have the phones and stuff, and they're like, "This is a freestyle." The, the headline, "This is a freestyle." Yeah, I know. I'm like, and they're like so rhyming crazy. over their rhyming. <laughs> so freestyle, like they're lip syncing. You're exactly right. Like freestyle now has a different connotation. Freestyle can be a written. It's just a song that basically isn't a song. It's a free. verse that isn't yeah, a song. Yeah, yeah. It's a free verse, you which know what I'm I still don't ascribe to as an elder. Off the never dome. I'm off the that. dome means means off the dome. Okay. A lot of times they say off the dome now is stuff that they now young yeah, people nah. are telling me off the dome is stuff that they had written, but it's like stuff they keep in their brain. Like, I'm like, really? No. Nah. Mm. Off the dome is like you right then and off there. Of everything like 
I used to have a thing where I would just go around the room and just yeah. things that were on the wall exactly. in the room, things that people had on clothes, yeah. anything like that. Yeah. My man Luda used to always laugh and be like, Drew, let Drew, Drew go around off of everything yeah. in the room. Yeah. That, and and that's like, an MC. Go ahead. An MC and, and that's, can and that's, do that. And, and yeah, and that's like, I mean... And shout out to Ludacris too. Like Luda gave me love for that. Like he would be like, "Yo, Drew, just be he be going." Like he right, does right. that. So you know, like I mean, I respect MCs who who rhyme off the head in a in a different way when mm-hmm. you're really good at it. Like yeah, supernatural. Really like people. Oh my like god, Supernat is amazing. Juice, oh my MC god, MC Juice, like those kinds of dudes. Um, Pack FM. Yo, word. there's like so many people. I mean, there's some creature that are beasts you know, that creature. are off the dome. <laughs> These are people I'm naming from like Fat Beats back in the day. Oh man. See, they used to be outside. That's crazy. Yeah. Fat Beats doing their thing. So I I love that kind of, you know, like if you off the Instagram. C Ray's Walls. C Ray's Walls is a beast. He know four eyes and all that. Like we and no star. Like we it's a weird little circle. Shouts out to R to Ray the Rugged Man. Rah. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many. There's a lot I mean, there's a lot of dope MCs out there who who don't get a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. Um because they didn't write a hit song that somebody wants to right, like put on right, the radio right. per se. Shake it, shake but it, But they shake got it fast. mad classics. Yes. And will body half of them season oh, out my there. Goodness. Just body them. I so just love I it. I love it. I love the hip hop of it. Me too. Yeah, I mean, for the culture, you know, the freestyle still is, is one of the things that the MC, you know, that was when the MC and the DJ really used to be in tune. Yeah. And while he's scratching it, my DJ, he's doing this. And yeah. scratch, scratch, scratch. Now he's on the mix. Yeah. And, you know, like all of that came from them freestyling, watching the DJ and right. hyping the DJ while he was talking. That used to be off the dome. They weren't writing that. That's It was going down. And yeah. like that to me, man, that's the culture that gives me the energy, man. That gives me the vibe. Like I even... Like I like I like to write raps, but I really love spitting off the dome. That's man. my that's favorite. I, like. I love I love to see MC like that's my that's my thing. I love to see I love to see like ciphers because I'm 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 of that era. So it's funny because like when I go to the b boy battles and stuff, I be like right in the front and you know right in the in the middle. And then whenever I bring people, they're like, don't don't get too close because if he kicks you, I'm like, nah, they're not gonna kick you. Like you, you can't see the moves if you go. <laughs> so I'm like that with the freestyle. You know, I like to get right up in there and like to get in their face and like see what they saying and like see what they gonna say, how they gonna react. You know, but it's just interesting. I saw this one battle um, where this one young lady like was rhyming and her daughter well she was losing and her daughter was so upset that she like jumped in the rhyme for her mother and like battled the chick like for her mom i was like this is amazing i'm gonna try to find that battle yeah i need you to send that to me on youtube (laughs) it was like and so it's because the mother was like choking and struggling and like then the other chick was like getting on her because they're battling so she's like you know, coming at her like you're choking and you're struggling. You don't know what's coming out your mouth. And the little girl was like, <laughs> just like just the fact that out. I was waiting for a to be like, <laughs> she just <laughs> like popped out and then she bodied that chick. I was like, whoa, she was like, and then she went off on her. Like, you know, you need to take care of your kids and you know, all this other well, type of stuff. I was like, shoot, she <laughs> bodied that is. chick. <laughs> And then uh, they asked the mother afterwards because the little girl, she she's the little girl was is an MC, so she must have got it from her mom. Because like when she bodied the chick, she was cursing and acting crazy. And her mom was like, "Calm down, calm down." And then she they asked the mom. She was like, "Well, I guess she gets that from me." 
You know, <laughs> it was like anyway. I was like, we went so overtime, but it's all good. This is like a good. This is a good cipher going on right here. I love it. Yeah, but we gotta hear nice. you. We gotta hear you do your thing. You wanna do a poem? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So where's that music? Okay, so so prep us for this song. Like, tell us what this song is. So it's interesting because we kind of talked about it, but um, the whole idea of taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And this poem is fairly new. It's not in the book. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a letter to my back. And what's this music? Uh, it's some instrumental that I found. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. To my back. I am sorry for all the weight I have put on you, making you carry burdens heavier than you. I am sorry for the 80-hour work weeks while I was teaching. Don't you see? I was trying to revolutionize young minds. I'm sorry for skipping family time to grade and lesson plan. Don't you see? I believe that every black child deserves to succeed. I'm sorry for laying in bed for two months when my boyfriend left me. Don't you see? I was grieving the loss of a best friend. I'm sorry for slouching and slaving through my pen. Don't you see? I was writing my sorrows away. I'm sorry for craning my neck, reading book after book. Don't you see? I was getting lost in stories, running away from my own painful stories. And I'm sorry for the time I typed 150 pages of my poems into a book. And don't you see, I was escaping loneliness by being lonely. And I'm sorry for turning in my sleep all night. And don't you see, my pain was turning into nightmares haunting me. But I've been going to yoga and I even got a new pillow. So why are you still knotted in agonizing pain? My back said to me, Every knot is a book of twisted stories that you have yet to open up. Those moments of pinching pain are a reminder of how much you have yet to heal. This won't be easy and won't be done in a day. This journey will take your lifetime. Until you are prepared to face your truths, my knots will keep growing like a cancer of wet pain. These chapters will be here for you when you are ready to read. And until you are ready to love yourself, I'll be here waiting to the day you die. Because remember, I always got your back. Wow, that was beautiful. Thank you. So tell us about that poem. Um, Where did that come from? That comes just from a lot of pain, I would say. Mm. Physical and mental. Mm. And so you see, I, I tie it with the pain in my back, you know, all the knots. Um, and also tying that to my mental health too, and and mm. having to at the end of the day, like facing my truths, opening up those wounds, and talking about them, and, and seeking help with them, and then loving myself at the end of the day. Mm. That's where that comes. That's from. so incredible. Yeah, that touched my heart. That was good. Dope. Thank you. Dope. Thank you. Mm. I appreciate it. Yeah, we got to end with that. <laughs> yeah, is that cool? Yeah. All right. So, like, give us again, like, how people can find you. Um, so I'm on Instagram at that Algerian. Um, you can also, um, email me daughter and diaspora at gmail.com and my book daughter and diaspora diary of a daughter and diaspora is also, um, on Amazon. Oh, that's incredible. Okay. Give us yours. Uh, right now you can catch me at Megaton, M-E-G-A-T-O-N on Twitter. That would be the best way to find me. Um, my Instagram is at Mega Drew Skywalker. 
There's not a lot of music there, though. So you might want to go to the Twitter page and go down the rabbit hole. Okay. Brittany, <clears throat> what's your social media? <laughs> no, just, what's your email? Brittany at Detroit is different. That's what's up. And, of course, you know, I am Piper Carter on Instagram. And um, Detroit is different on Instagram. And you can hit us up. Like, let us know, like, what you think about stuff that we talked about today. I'll give you my email, too. Piper at Detroit is different dot com. We're going to start reading people's emails um, on on here. I'm going to start playing with, like, a donation model of, like, reading people's emails for, like, donations. But we got to try to play with it because we're supposed to be boycotting Patreon. So, uh I, I know. I'm always boycotting some shit. But uh <laughs> so we go we gonna figure it out. Maybe maybe PayPal, <laughs> maybe, you know, whatever. Sip my tea over here. Sip your tea, yeah. We we figure it out. But yeah, just hit us up. Um let us know like, you know, what you think about this episode. Let us know what's going on in your life. Let us know what's coming up. Oh, and really briefly, um, right quick before we go, yeah, just wanted you guys to like make sure that you're um sharing and liking the podcast and know that it's on um, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Google Play. And we're going to, people have been asking us to get it on YouTube. We're going to um, get it on YouTube. We got to, we, we, we need some producers. We need, we reaching out. Yeah. If you want to be a producer on the show, let me know. Cause we want to get these clips up on YouTube and um, we'll be looking for interns in 2019 to help us get this show going. So yeah, um, Piper Carter on Detroit is different. Peace. To my back. I am sorry for all the weight I have put on you, making you carry burdens heavier than you. I am sorry for the 80-hour work weeks while I was teaching. Don't you see? I was trying to revolutionize young minds. I'm sorry for skipping family time to grade and lesson plan. Don't you see? I believe that every black child deserves to succeed. I'm sorry for laying in bed for two months when my boyfriend left me. Don't you see? I was grieving the loss of a best friend. I'm sorry for slouching and slaving through my pen. Don't you see? I was writing my sorrows away. I'm sorry for craning my neck, reading book after book. Don't you see? I was getting lost in stories, running away from my own painful stories. And I'm sorry for the time I typed 150 pages of my poems into a book. And don't you see? I was escaping loneliness by being lonely And I'm sorry for turning in my sleep all night And don't you see, my pain was turning into nightmares haunting me But I've been going to yoga and I even got a new pillow So why are you still knotted in agonizing pain? My back said to me, every knot is a book of twisted stories that you have yet to open up those moments of pinching pain are a reminder of how much you have yet to heal. This won't be easy and won't be done in a day. This journey will take your lifetime. Until you are prepared to face your truths, my knots will keep growing like a cancer of wet pain. These chapters will be here for you when you are ready to read. And until you are ready to love yourself, I'll be here waiting to the day you die. Because remember, I always got your back. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and always listen on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Store, and Spotify.
Stay up on the real culture of Detroit by tuning in to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network weekly. Music, art, business, comedy, and never-before-told stories from the people of Detroit.